The following is a CSPN Media podcast presentation. Good evening, Rick. Would you believe it's, it's Dr. Doom? What's on your evil mind? Oh, you insulting tongue and mock my words well. How about this rumor that you are really hired, Mr. Stark? Hello, and welcome to another exciting episode of the Comic Book Chronicles. I am your host, Roddy Cat, and you can find me at Roddy Cat on the, the Twitters, at that Roddy Cat thing. That's, a, that's me. And you can also find me at News Nurse Need on Twitter. You can also find me at CB Caps on Instagram. <laughs> and the sound effects you have just heard have been provided by the man, the myth, the legend, one agent underscore 70 on Twitter and Instagram. What's up, everybody? You know we've been practicing uh, uh, social slash physical distancing, so you know our applause was not real. We do not have an in-house live studio audience. Um, I'm coming to you live from BK, and my honestly, my my theme song for uh, now week two plus of quarantine is. Ain't no love in the heart of the city. Ain't no love in the heart of town. (laughs) So, y'all, for real, that is what it's like here in New York City. And I understand that everywhere around the country and lots of places around the world are on social lockdown. Uh, So... Uh, you know, God bless you if you've got someone to spend quarantine with. Uh, for those of us who are living that song, that's our theme song. Ain't no love in the heart of the city right now, for real. Tis true, tis true. Y'all, see, y'all tuned in. Y'all didn't think y'all were gonna get a serenade. <laughs> what you thought this was. For real. <laughs> oh, mercy. So, let's see. It is saying it's live. Okay. I'm just checking the stream, so y'all forgive me for one quick second. I love this. Okay. I love this because yep. Roddy Cat's going to be like, yo, you got to do that all over again. No, that was some <laughs> funny shit, and I would do that, but no. <laughs> oh, man. Look, that would, that, would, that would be torture for you. I wouldn't do that to you like that, but that would be some funny shit. I'd be like, yo. Good night, everybody. All right. <laughs> but nah, I just checked. I just checked the stream. Except I have still have to get the link. But then yeah, we're good to go on this, Poppy. Um, we are good right. to go. Yeah. Let's uh, finish up the, uh, the plugs here. It'd be nice. If we had the rest of Voltron in place. Yes. Uh, not with us tonight. One agent underscore. Um, no, wait. No, that's this dude. One PC and underscore dirt on Twitter. Uh, Pop Culture Network on tw- um, the the. Well, actually, Pop Culture Net on Twitter. PopCultureNetwork.com is his website and all his umbrella sites therein. He's also on Byte, which is Divine Replacement at Comic Reviews. No, um, no vowels. <laughs> 
And also not with us tonight, as I send that link off to the to the recording to the to the Twitters. One, uh, Tim D O G G nine eight on the Twitters. Also CB Cron on Twitter, which is the Comic Book Chronicles um, Twitter account. You know, send us questions there. Say hey, hey, we like we love you guys. Um, also. The Click Nation on Twitter and theclicknation.com. That's the K L I Q N A T I O N. And also, comic book resources. Where he's over there writing his face off. And despite there not being um, a lack of comics coming out this week, they still put out news. So good on them. Which then again, they, they've already had stuff in place to kind of keep stuff going. Because you got to get right. them clicks. Right. So, yeah, I mean, you know, this is all part and parcel with the uh, the news announcements. But this week, there are no new comic books, and we will be discussing that shortly. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, with that, we can go right on into the news. Into the news! Boop. Hey, transitions. I love them. Uh, yes, and we start off. We don't normally start off this early in the show, but guess what, folks? This is what you got. Um, we started. No, this with, is how we used to do it. Well, this <laughs> you and, and yeah, I was about to mention that too. Yeah, so the way we used to do it for for you fans that are new to us, we used to start off with the news every week, and then happen to go to uh, what we we're reading. But then somewhere along the lines, we just switched it up to reverse it. We flipped it and reversed it, and the year Shout out to me. Exactly. But every now and then we kind of bring it back, just like we are now. Um, and we start off with the cinematic news, just like we are right now. And that's uh, actually, and it just so happens that the first news just happens to be going to be the main topic of tonight. Because uh, Star Trek, you can watch every episode of Picard and Discovery for free right now. Um, so, you know, if you've been meaning to check up on it, as the article says, that you can see on the video if you're watching, by the way, on uh on youtube.com slash theclicknation you can see the link for this said, uh, thing and if you're watching in the chat hey welcome but yeah so if you go to CBS All Access's site and put in the promo code GIFT then you can get um, you can get CBS All Access until uh, April 23rd so this is this link has been out for another for, for a week but it's still valid so you can go check it out so if you want to watch hey Picard, Star Trek Picard. You want to watch Discovery? You want to watch uh, any other old Star Trek shows? You want to watch um, All Rise with uh, Simone Missick? You know, shout out to Missy Knight, um, which is actually a pretty good show. Or any other, you know, CBS, uh, you know, produced and or ran show that's out there. Some of you Hawaii Five O fans, whoever you are, or all of the, the any number of CIS and C and CISs. This is not a plug for them. This is just a, a, a uh, well, it's kind of is, I guess it is, but um, <laughs> but it's just an article for for that thing. And since you know you ain't got nowhere else to go right now, if, if in a lot of places, take your advantage of it. Yeah, seriously. I mean, if if you if you feel like, and I I, I think this is you know, unlikely, but you never know. And especially if you're a big fan of all these, uh, especially Star Trek, you know, this is the main place where you can get all of Star Trek in one place. Mm-hmm. And you may want to think about uh, jumping on this free offer for uh, CBS All Access. Right. Now, granted, I know there will be some people saying, yeah, it's all on Netflix, except for so, except for Discovery and Picard, but you're not going to be able to see uh, Discovery and Picard on Netflix unless you're right. overseas. Right-o. So, hey, there you go. And I think this is probably you. Actually, I don't know if it's yours only. It doesn't necessarily say. But, hey, try it anyway. There you go. 
it's give it a shot. pretty much a nuts. The mo. Right, give it a shot. Give it a shot. Next up. All right, next up, uh, Dave Filoni has teased that another Star Wars, the Clone Wars alum, could be appearing in season two of Disney Plus's The Mandalorian. Um, Filoni recently updated his header photo on Twitter to feature artwork of fan favorite uh, Clone Wars characters Ahsoka Tano and Captain Rex, albeit the older version of Rex seen in Star Wars Rebels. Uh, this image was originally for VIP holders at Star Wars Celebration Anaheim 2015. So that is the character that is being teased, the older Captain Rex pre-appearance uh, in Return of the Jedi. Exactly. So, yeah, so people have been basically taking that as, as to say, hey, they could do that. And his teasing with his uh, Twitter header is uh, not helping or hurting that either. So, exactly. Because we already know Ahsoka's going to be in um uh, in the Mandalorian, uh, you know, judging by the news from last week, so it could happen. Which also would be weird because, well, actually, we don't know because I know you've been watching uh, Clone Wars uh, season seven. Yes, and I know it does go to a point, but I believe, and I'm still not caught up yet, so this is going to be really rusty of me. But at a, I know at a certain point in season six. She at the end of season or in the midst of season six, that's when she left because they had gone to Mandalore. Um, and I think she had took some troopers with her, or they had she was given some troopers with her that may or may not have included Rex. But uh, judging when the Mandalorian comes about, which I believe is before Rebels, if I'm not mistaken, because it's like, no. like 12 years after, after Return of the Jedi or something like that. Right, but Rebels is before the Jedi, so um, so Mandalorian comes oh, between right. Jedi and Force Awakens. That's right. You're right. You're right. I'm sorry. Um, so which would mean that the last time we saw them in Rebels was the last time them two they two saw each other. Okay, so what other right, and they, they reconnect, yeah, they, exactly. They reconnect in they reconnect in Rebels. So. Um, we presume that after uh, Jedi, they come back together again in the Mandalorian. That's you know for for whatever reason, which we'll find out. So right, if 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 this is if this is uh, if this comes to head, right? So, yeah, I was getting my timeline screwed up. I was ugh, I hate that, but it is. What it's it is. okay. It's okay. It's similar to our uh, our experience with uh, with comics. We read so much, as you know, when it comes to uh, you know weekly comic books that we oftentimes forget or get things confused because there's just a lot. We read so much more than the average, you know, comic book collector. So, right. Easy In to some cases watch. Right. It's easy to get the stuff mixed up. Yeah. But moving right along, because that, either way I'm hoping for, because that would be, uh, that'd be good. And I'm kind of curious who they would get to, to as a live action Rex, but right. moving right along, uh, legends of tomorrow, arrow co-creator Mark Guggenheim, uh, directed a season five episode, um, which I'm not sure why that's news, but I figured he would have done like he. And we know he directed some Arrow stuff, and I'm pretty sure some Flash stuff. So, I guess the fact that he's uh, directed a Let's Go Tomorrow episode, I guess that makes a trifecta. I assume. Okay. Um, but yeah, he was uh, he was on a he was a guest on a uh, on some podcast where he said that where he mentioned that he directed an episode. So, um, 
and obviously he's a part of the uh, production staff on that anyway. So I guess at some point it was it was going to happen. But nevertheless, bye y'all. Next up. All right, next up, uh, Arrow co-creator reveals why Colin Salmon never returned as Walter Steele. Um, who? So, uh, following Oliver Queen's death in the Crisis on Infinite Earths crossover, spoiler alert, multiple characters from the series past returned for the final episode to pay their respects to the fallen hero. Among others, Thea Queen, Tommy Merlin, Moira Queen, Quentin Lance, Felicity Smoke, and Roy Harper all returned for Oliver's funeral. Hmm. Characters who were all part of the series, of the first seasons of the series. Which, but there was, well, go, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Uh, just to just to wrap, uh, there was another season one character that uh, Arrow co-creator, producer, and writer Mark Guggenheim wanted to appear in the series finale, but. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. Uh, Guggenheim revealed on the Fake Nerd podcast that he wanted Colin Salmon's Walter Steele to appear in Fade Out. And again, who? So. So, one, Colin Salmon is a pretty good actor. You've probably seen those. I want to say he was in that Resident Evil movie and probably, no, he might not have been. Either way, he's been some shit. He's good. So, Walter Steele was uh, basically uh, Ollie's stepdad in the first season. He's uh, He was married to uh, uh, Ollie's mom. Okay. Uh, and he left after, I don't know what happened, but he left after the first season. The, what, the weird thing to me in this, that the whole thing that you just read was that, as far as I remember, a couple of those characters died unless happened something happened in the last couple of seasons and they came back because his mom had died in like season three, four or something like that. Uh by Deathstroke's hands, come come to think of it. And Tommy. Maybe Merlin they came had, back. Oh no, okay. I was just gonna say maybe they came back as force goats. Oh no. Now I think Tommy Merlin also who had also died, he's died through one of the and then one of those seasons. I think they did bring him back for something. I don't know if it was like a dream sequence or he might have been a clone or something. Who knows what the case may be. But so I thought he was dead too. But I think that I did do remember seeing they might have brought him back for something in the last season or two. Okay. So that that's what kind of struck me. It was like, wait, those they're dead. How the hell? Anyway, that's um that's neither here nor there. But yeah, so his character it was kind of weird that his character left in the first place because it was just kind of all the blood and there was no real no real um justification of it that I remember. It just they just got rid of him. But then they, a lot of, they changed a lot of things in season two, like such as the, going more Batman. Anyway, next up, um, Justice League Dark Apocalypse War reportedly ends the DCAMU. Um, now, I also have seen this out here as reported as may not necessarily be true. And at one site kind of got lambasted for their titling of that because there were some comic creators uh, specifically ones like James Tucker and Fate Folk who, you know, who are behind the scenes on that stuff who basically said that they seemed to take it, take it out of um, not necessarily take it out of context but kind of overblown it the fact that this may or may not be, excuse me, the end of the the, um, the animated movie universe mm-hmm. so I don't know and yeah, and see, and I'm reading the CBR the the, blah, blah, the CBR article, which takes from the comicbook.com article, which who was the folks who got kind of lambasted for saying that. So they were basically reporting on what's maybe just a rumor. Which, man, we gotta be, do better about that, folks. 
and I hadn't seen anything outside of that to say one way or another. And and, there, and it's prob- possibly that somewhere in this article is you know they're not necessarily justified what comic said, but kind of spinning it, not spinning it, but it's kind of taking it to where it's like, well, this could be what they meant by that, or whoever's they're not talking for each other, and I'm not talking for them, so I don't know. But regardless, hey. Apocalypse War is another movie, you know. They've it's not like they haven't had where it's like, okay, well this ends this section and then it's, and then everything after Flashpoint uh, kind of changed everything and up till I think up till now actually. So we'll see what happens with that. Next up, all right. Next up, uh, DC Universe's Harley Quinn returns explores the Harley and Ivy romance. So this is following the events of Harley's takedown of the Joker in the first season of DC Universe's Harley Quinn. The new season picks up with Gotham in complete shambles, and the city is up for grabs by Gotham's criminal underbelly. Uh, this uh, show. Uh, well, actually, no. The 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 first season is set to resu- uh, resume on April third. Uh, actually, no, it's the second season. I apologize. Season two will also welcome a few new faces, including Barbara Gordon and Catwoman. Co-showrunner Patrick Schumacher even goes to describe Selena as Poison Ivy's Lady Gaga. Okay. Uh... Sure. This new season, yeah, not only introduces new characters, but will also explore Harley and Ivy's romantic tension and how that will affect their relationship. Um, poker face. <laughs> yeah, which is which is <laughs> that's silly. Which is pretty much one of the things that people been want was wanting out of the first season and had asked about it, and I'm fairly sure we had talked about it in the past and they explained why that didn't happen. So now the folks are getting wonder, well, I have still not seen none of this show yet. Right. And my uh what you call it, my one year um uh free membership expired, so I haven't uh, decided to uh, jump back on. Hmm. Understood. So, moving right along. Uh, next up. Uh, let's see. Uh, this is you. Oh, wait. I just did. Okay. Never mind. No, uh, I did Harley Quinn. All uh, right. Batman, Superman. Oh, Lord. <clears throat> Excuse me. Snyder explains why he killed Snoots Jimmy Olsen, which I honestly kind of was curious about at the time that I watched the movie initially. But... I'm like, wait, that happened? Yeah, that happened. <laughs> and see, that was the other thing too, because people did wasn't sure if that was him or not. But I do, but I just so happened to be, you know, I'm like, wait, that's Jimmy Olsen. Because you can see, I think his biological shows show. It's like it was real brief, so you know, it was easy to miss during the movie. Okay. But it was like, wait, why was why is Jimmy Olsen a, a working for the CIA? What's going on here? What? Uh, how? Why? And then they killed him off. It was like, oh well, and they just never spoke of it again. <laughs> so I was like, well, what was the point of doing that? Well, I mean, obviously there was that one part with the with the bathtub, but whatever. They still didn't speak of it then. So, but yeah, apparently um uh um Zack Snyder said um you know, gave his reasons why he did it. Now, he basically says, let's see, during live commentary of the film, people always ask him if he's dead. Do we see him again? Does he come back to life? I don't think so. Uh it implies a bigger universe. It implies that these dominoes are falling as we go forward. Um, whatever that means. Okay. So, okay, cool. Like I said, it was just kind of thing. They, if you remember Batman Superman, they were just like, they brought it up. They happened and not a lot of people knew it was even him. 
So. What I was going to say is, um, I think it was on cable the other day, and I flipped past that. I was like, nope, not stopping here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, folks. You know what? Not mad at you for it. Not even. So, I mean, I'd watch it again. In fact, you know what? We'll talk about that after. So we were, we were thinking about other things to do as this, uh, as the quarantine goes on and no books are happening. Yeah. And there was a couple of suggestions of movies. And I almost said one of them on Twitter last week, but again, we'll talk after, out. Uh, right. After we're, definitely, we're definitely working on uh, generating content for our loyal listeners and viewers. So mm-hmm. don't fret uh, in the absence of new comic books. Um, we will come up with various things um, to keep uh, keep the discussion moving, keep it going. Um, we may, you know, we may go over old books. We may go over, uh, you know, media, mm-hmm. uh, movies, you know, uh, kind of doing a hybrid treasury edition type episodes, which is what we're doing today, tonight. So, um, you know, just uh, be on the lookout for that. Yeah. So, and I can see I, I've had a couple of uh, real gems. You can't see my air quotes, but you, hopefully you heard them. In 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 my thoughts, right. But let us continue. Um, All right. So next up, uh, Netflix has renewed its Castlevania animated series for a fourth season. The news was revealed via Netflix's official Twitter account. The announcement was accompanied by a brief clip from season three, featuring Devil Forge Master Isaac peering into his magic armor. All right. All I'm going to say is that show's good. You should check it out if you are a fan of the um, video game series. Or even if you're not. If you're just an anime fan, which a lot of them are. That show's been pretty good. I still need to catch up on season three, though. Next up, Lock and Key renewed for season two on Netflix. Another show I still haven't watched yet. Same. So, But apparently, hey, it's good enough to get another season. And I'm sure Joe Hill's like, yes, fine. Let it happen. <laughs> and give her Rodriguez. So, cool. Next up. Next up, Deadpool star Ryan Reynolds is in talks to take the lead role in Netflix's film adaptation of the iconic video game Dragon's Lair, according to The Hollywood Reporter. Known for its humor and challenging puzzles, Dragon's Lair was released in 1983 and immediately stood out in arcades thanks to its Don Bluth animated graphics, a very different style from what was common in video games of the time. Bluth went on to direct well-known 90s and 1980s animated films such as An American Tale, All Dogs Go to Heaven, and more. Didn't they do an animated series for Dragon's Lair as well? Yes, they did. It was a part of oh, the Saturday okay. Supercade with um with uh like Mario Brothers and uh, Donkey Kong and Frogger and all of those. Right, 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 right. And also Space Ace, which was another uh another in the same line because Dragon's Lair, being the one of the first laser disc uh, video games ever, and probably one of the most popular outside of Space Face, Space uh, Space Ace, excuse me. Space you know. Face. <laughs> Space Ace kind of got something. Now I saw this article and it was like on the twenty seventh. I legit thought it was an April Fool's Day uh, joke, but at the same time, it's like you know what? No, that's actually the kind of movie I could see him doing mm-hmm. or trying to do. And I'm also thinking back to, so there was a video game series called, um, uh, what is it, Baldur's Gate? Yeah, I think it was Baldur's Gate. And there was a, a movie in the name of the king that starred Jason Statham, um, directed by one infamously known Uwe, Uwe Boll. It was a garbage movie. 
but I feel like this. I, I feel like the two of those movies feel like they could be common ground. Now we don't know who's behind this one, or even if it's even gonna happen. But I just thought it's funny. It's funny. Okay. So, uh, Jackson Lair is kind of a classic. If not a bitch. Next up, uh, what an artist shows how Power Rangers reboot Green Rangers, the Green Ranger would be. So yeah. So um, let's see. Is this Sanit Clam Clam Chanowin? Uh, who is an artist at Weta Workshop, I apologize if I butchered the name, posted a drawing of the Green Ranger suit on Instagram. Uh, he wrote that since uh, New Zealand, the home of Weta, is on lockdown due to, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, he had a chance to sketch out the drawing. Uh, now, granted, the Green Ranger never did show up in that reboot of the movie, so, you know, it, you know, uh, it has not come to pass and I don't even know I haven't seen the movie to see if they even even hinted at it so who even knows if if it'll ever come to pass but nevertheless you can if you're watching the video you can see the 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 redesign right there next up alrighty I I would get this story I would get this story Uh, so Dwayne The Rock Johnson confirms Hobbs and Shaw 2 is an early development. Hey, boo! boo! <laughs> so after Hobbs and Shaw came out, apparently we all knew that we were going to see a sequel to the Fast and Furious spinoff film. It was only a matter of time. And now Dwayne Johnson has confirmed that the sequel is in early development. It was pretty terrible. It was bad. <laughs> During a recent Q&A on Instagram, Johnson was asked about Hobbs and Shaw 2, and this was his response. Uh, We are developing now the next film, the next Hobbs and Shaw movie, and I'm pretty excited about it. We just got to figure out the creative right now and the direction we're going to go. Well, there were parts of it that weren't very good. It could have been a lot better. <sighs> I have not, you know, I, I I don't break out the um, the Statler and Waldorf that often, but this is very much deserving of those sound effects. No, in fact, we don't use them as much as we thought we would. So, I mean, there are times when we have, you know, I've broken them out uh, repeatedly, but you know, they, you know, there's just times when we have other things that may be more appropriate. But I felt like those were pretty appropriate for this particular set of news. Yeah, I still haven't seen the first one yet. Obviously, uh, Agent Seventy has, and uh, you can if you you can kind of blame his uh, his thoughts on it. And we have talked uh, about it in the past, but yeah, we have spoken about it. It is on. I think it just hit HBO. Okay. So, so those of you who have um, access to that subscription channel, or you know, maybe get desperate enough at like uh, pay per views or. Red box if you're into that, you know. Or you can, other less than sundry means to get kind Right. Of- right, right, right. You can just sit down and watch it and you know, you may um you know, choose to put some brain cells aside because you don't need all of them to understand or appreciate it. <laughs> so you may lose some as a result of watching it all the way through, so so, in other words, five stars from, from Agent 70. Got it. Lord have mercy. Ooh, I'm dying! 
Oh, that was perfect. I did not plan that, folks, but it just so happened. <laughs> um, moving right along uh, to some good news. Actually, speaking of uh, content you can get, well, in uh, in sundry ways, and much less the less than sundry ways you probably could, though. Um, all of the classic Doctor Who is now streaming for free. So, if you are a new Who fan and maybe want to know what the hubbub is about, and you did not, and you have not been exposed to it before. Or, you know, if you are one of these folks who are like, hey, let me relive the classics because the new Who is just garbage. I don't know too many people who exactly said that, mind you. But hey, you can all see where it came from. If you go to the streaming service Pluto TV, uh, who announced, exactly, this is old. Uh, so this is like nine months old. So I assume this is still out there because, you know, people are, because they did just kind of re, um, re repost this article. So I assume this is still valid because you know, people are kind of um, stuck in the house. Nevertheless, like I said, it's all out there on Pluto, Pluto, uh, Pluto TV, who apparently is Viacom owned. So that's interesting. Um, you can go check it out. Go check out Tom Baker, who's arguably the best uh, doctor. He's pretty much most people's doctor. He's mine. I've gotten an affinity for some of the other ones, but there you go. Okay. Next up. All right, next up, uh, the first episode of Sci-Fi's Vagrant Queen is on YouTube. Vagrant Queen promises an exiled ex-queen a bunch of attitude and one of the most vibrant space opera settings on screen. And you can check it out for free. Yesterday, Sci-Fi posted the premiere episode of Vagrant Queen, a royal ass-kicking on YouTube, letting viewers enjoy it online in all of its 53-minute glory. It introduces viewers to Alita, uh, played by Adrian Ray, a former child queen on the run. At just the moment, her life is falling apart. An old friend, or, well, friend, quote-unquote, Isaac, played by Tim Rozon, shows up with some important information about the world she left behind, setting her down a path toward adventure and lots of space Gunfights. Alrighty. So it's not quite Killjoys, but it's, it feels like it's on the alley. It should be worth noting, and I'm pretty sure we talked about this before, but the, it is based off of a comic book by um, Magdalene Visago and Jason Smith, who actually just started now that I think about because I think it's the, the thing is like two issues in, like two or three issues in at this point. So the fact that this got a, a show so early is, is quite interesting. Mm-hmm. But hey, it looks fun from what I saw. A little, you know, budgety. But hey, the girl's cute, and the, the show's probably all right. It's a sci-fi joint, so you kind of take it for what it is. Um, I actually didn't get a chance to check it out yet, but I will. Next up, uh, for you anime folks out there, uh, Retro Crush lets you enjoy tons of classic anime for free. And this is the kind of thing I was uh, hinting around to uh, 8 to 70 before the show. So um, we're all looking to, so, you know, just because things are things, and, um, you know... Retro Crush apparently is a app that is available on iTunes and Google Play and more probably is out there for on your um, smart, or well, not on somebody's smart TV, but hopefully it's out there on PS4, but I doubt it. It's a new curated video on demand service that includes over 100 brilliant anime series and films. There's plenty to enjoy from hard to find gems like uh, Gonaga's Devil Lady all the way to the beloved classics like Wicked City, which is a great one, Blackjack, uh, the movie and Street Fighter 2. 
um, which is also on Crunchyroll, but, same, but as I said, this is for free. And apparently I saw a friend of mine that was weeding through some of the stuff, excuse me, that is being offered and found some gems. I believe Ronin Warriors is on there. Um, I don't know if it's actually Warner Warriors or or the uh, Shadow or not Shadow Warriors, but it, or it is the Japanese version of it, which is the same thing, just not dubbed. But nevertheless, it is out there, so you can go to Retro Crush, which is causing the scenes coming soon. But it's, I think it's already out there. Yeah, it's available on uh, the iTunes store, the uh, you know the uh, Apple Store, the App mm-hmm. Store. So. Go check that out, folks. And uh, I saw this article and I totally forgot to um, go check it out, but I plan to after this. Interesting. Interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. All right. So liven up your social isolation, your social and physical distancing with a G.I. Joe marathon, courtesy of Hasbro. G.I. Joe is both one of the cheesiest and one of the most fondly remembered of the 80s wave of toyetic action cartoons. Does it hold up to your nostalgia? Well, now, during this period of widespread social distancing amidst the novel coronavirus pandemic, it's certainly time to find out. So here's some good info for you. Hasbro has uploaded 15 full episodes of the classic show to youtube you can find them at the link in our show notes that's almost seven hours of gi joe joy from the saga of the mass device oh they're playing hockey with the with the thing on the ice lake mm-hmm. to the pyramid oh, yeah. of, to the pyramid of darkness arc because apparently this show had arcs lasting like five episodes each um yeah, I'm not reading this last part because um, it doesn't apply. This, this, this article was made by a baby. Right, and for real. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe! So, yeah. Now, Agent 70 and myself are above are of, uh, of a particular vintage. Correct. Um, and as you may have noticed by what I should have said at the top of the show, in that being that uh, this here program is on Cold Slither Podcast Network, a.k.a. the CSPN.us. Do it today. Which I totally forgot to, to say that. Yes. So needless to say, we have a, a little bit of a fondness with the GIs of the Joes. Yes, sir. Because, especially with uh, the founding members of said Cold Slither, well, of the Cold Slither Podcast Network and the show they're in. That's right. Uh, who one of just so happens to be the founder of this show. Uh, shout out to Tim. Shout out to him. You know, and uh, if you ever go back and watch the uh, when they did a live watch of one show that they did, I can't remember. It wasn't Cold Slither episode, but it was a show. And I think actually they did a couple of them. It's a treat. Right. Nevertheless, we have an affinity for the G.I. Joe. So this person, you know, bless the babies. But, um, Hey, look, this is good times for all of us. And it's the stuff that you would kind of know if you've if you've been there because like the that's like Well, it's the it's the first few basically the you know, five parters and you know, coming home every running home every uh afternoon to try to catch that the next part of the thing because we didn't have these fancy on demand things and we had to either videotape it if you had that capability. Um or watch I was about it live. To say, uh, yeah, I was about to say you were fortunate back have that exactly and i was just out there so 
which is a strangely, I don't want to say benevolent, but I don't have, for lack of a better word, um, thing for Hasbro to do. Now, you could have right. thrown some Transformers out there, too, at the same time, but I understand they're doing some things with that. Yep, 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 yep. Um, that being the case, folks, we have, uh, we're going to transition into the comic book news. And we're going to start off with some DC news. Um, DC continuing some new releases through book trade distributor during Diamond Stoppage. So basically, DC has uh, reconfirmed plans to release its uh, original graphic novel Gotham High to stores and online retailers everywhere books are sold, quote-unquote, on April 7th as planned. Uh, The OGN was solicited to be released through the direct market on April 1st, but due to Diamond's uh, stoppage of last week that we talked about. Um, But with that decision... Uh, let's say with Diamond's decision to postpone any product distribution indefinitely, comic book retailers who ordered DC titles through Diamond, such as Gotham High, would not be receiving the title for the time being. Uh, and in fact, we have not received any comic books officially. Um, you know, not officially. We have gotten some sneak previews, but we well, don't. They, yeah, but um, I mean, I, I say officially by they're not. You know, right. You know, able to be purchased and read. Exactly. So. But DC's book trade releases are primarily distributed to through Penguin Random House along with Diamond, uh, indicating that other DC book trade titles and OGNs could still release to bookstores during Diamond's closure. So yeah, there you go. Some some there are some books that are still getting out, just not the regular stuff. Mm-hmm. Next up. All right, should we talk about this story? If this book is not, or is this book out last week? I think this is one. This was out last week. Yes, in fact, it was, and I didn't finish reading it, but it is. It was already out. Okay, so for uh, you know, ladies and gentlemen, if you were able to get to uh, your copy of uh, uh, Curse of the White Knight that was out last week, because some stores were already closed, you know, some 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 non-essential stores were already closed at that time. So, hmm. uh, spoiler alert for those of you who have not yet been able to obtain your copy. Um, uh, apparently, um, the Dark Knight uh, in the in the White Knight pulled off one last great trick by turning uh, the Batmobile into spoiler alert the Bat Boat. So, <laughs> and not only that, so I've read. Well, I do know I read this, especially coming out of seven. I was like, okay, I got to check this out. So it, it is. Picture this: it is the '89 Batman. Because so in the course of the story, and within this volume and the last volume, there's been a series of Batmobiles, and you've known a couple of them. Like the Tumbler was in there, of course, and so they were homages to the to the live action version of the Batmobiles. And in this case, the only one that was left was '89 Batman. The uh, Batmobile, so he had to take that out and to to go uh, fight Azrael, and this was after whole some old other stuff that uh, that him coming out as Bruce Wayne to Gotham and him taking losing his wealth and all that kind of good, or not losing his wealth but giving away his wealth and all that all kinds of stuff. You should definitely read this volume; it's pretty good. Anyway, um, long story short, yeah, he turns into the Bat the Bat Boat, which is goes back to nineteen sixty nine version of um, excuse me sixty six version of Batman. And there you have it. It was pretty, right. it was pretty good. As a matter of fact, you can see. Well, if you're interested, you could I would scroll scroll down because it's basically it goes through a transformation sequence. Um, 
But it was good. You should check that out. It's, it's, it's not in canon. It's, it's an Elseworlds thing, but I don't care what anybody says. Some of those Elseworlds goods are pretty good. I would definitely say if you haven't checked out Curse of the Night, White Knight, go to um, Black uh, Batman White Knight previously before running into this because it plays off some of that. But it's good stuff. Uh, next up. This is you. Mm-hmm. Uh, see, DC Universe's iconic locations are now Zoom backgrounds and not Professor Zoom. We're talking about that program that our people are using in this time of social distancing, much like Skype, for meetings and gatherings and whatnot. So uh, apparently DC Comics and apparently a few other people uh, have been, like Archie Comics have just put out a bunch of backgrounds on Twitter as of today's recording. Um, that feature locations in their, you know, in their universe. And in this case, like I said, it's the DC universe, so it is the Hall of Justice, not necessarily this picture, the one that's pictured here. Yeah, it kind of sucks. I yeah. wish it was the animated Hall of Justice. Yeah, exactly. Um, it is the comic book version of the Hall of Justice, and, um... But, you know, you, I guess you take what you get. As a matter of fact, I'm just going to put over here and just go run through real quick of, uh, of the location. So this is obviously the Batmobile, I mean, the Batcave, Gotham City, uh, Arkham Asylum, Daily Planet, um, the Watchtowers is back there, the Fortress of Solitude, XYZ, ABC, Central City, you know, Star Labs. So you could basically plug in those uh, virtual backgrounds into Zoom and use them in your next gathering. Uh, which means it'll blur out your background if you if you have that set, you know it'll blur out your background and you'll be standing in front of it if you don't know that technology well. You can also use this in like um, if you are familiar, your folks are familiar with green screen software. You can also use them for that stuff too, just in case the folks like that are savvy. But it was cool that they did this, you know, just like kind of give it, give it a little. And plus, they're nice high res pictures of you know of locations and you know just just a half if you so desire. The Batcave one is cool. Yeah. Like I'm surprised they didn't do like Oa, uh, or or um. Oops. I guess I guess in front of the central battery maybe. Right, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah like they could have done that one or um. Well, I don't know. You wouldn't want to do Ran or or or. Not recognize. Wait, that did, yeah, no, they're the Themyscira. Yeah, think. they do Themyscira. I was about to say. I was about to speak out of turn, but they did definitely do that. So. But yeah, Atlantis, Gorilla City is also there. They do the gold comics, so they get close. Um, but yeah, so just check it out. And I said, Archie Comics has already put some out there on Twitter. So if you're following the Archie Comics um, uh, uh, Twitter account, you can go check out you know their Riverdale stuff and other places. I believe Age of Seventy. You said you had some John Wick ones or whatever. Oh yes, there is a there uh, a couple of um, movie studios have put out. Um, Zoom backgrounds as well. Lionsgate put out some, um, some, some, uh, some backgrounds, and specifically, I was into the ones that they put out from, from that were related to the John Wick universe, and um, also, um, I think it's Paramount. Uh, whoever is producing the new Top Gun movie, the Maverick, Top Gun Maverick movie, has uh, some great um, backgrounds. Uh, you know, you basically put yourself into Maverick's chair as he's flying an F-18 Hornet, you know, um, either in the middle of a loop or um, flying in formation. So it's pretty cool. Nice. So, yeah, um, if you got a link to those, I'll, I'll, I'll put them in the link. But if not, don't worry about it. Um, right. 
So I mean, you can Google that stuff or look for their accounts on Twitter. That's why right. that's how I found them. Right, so, and just like with the because uh, I don't have a link to the Archie comic, but you could do, definitely do the same thing there. So yeah, you can take advantage of those. And like I said, if you have some green screen software or you're using Zoom, go you know go have some fun with it. You gotta have some fun nowadays. Yep. Next All up. Right. Next up, Marvel is offering buy one, get one free sale on digital comics. The best of the Marvel Universe lies at your fingertips. Now through April 7th, 11 p.m. Eastern, so you have five more days, Marvel Digital Comic Shop is holding a store-wide buy one, get one free sale. With the purchase of a comic or collection, you will get another digital title for free. Use the code Marvel. 2020 no spaces at checkout for this unbeatable offer um you can check out the currently critically acclaimed runs of um chip zadarsky on daredevil uh nick spencer on spider-man and jason aaron on avengers and you can also uh you know catch up on all of the latest uh star wars books so uh head over to uh marvel's digital comic shop Mm-hmm. Worth noting that this offer is not valid on anything released um, as of um, the first day of April 2020, which is yesterday as, as of this recording, and uh, anything, any pre-orders. Also, this is not the first time that they've had such a similar sale between them and Comixology, but being that things are the way that they, they are, I'm not complaining about it. So, Or you could try Marvel Unlimited like some folks have done. <laughs> That's right. Um, next up. Some sad news. Um, Harriet Glickman, who inspired Franklin's creation, a.k.a. of the Peanuts fame, has passed away. Um, Harriet Glickman, the, the teacher who inspired the Peanuts character creator uh, Charles M. Shiggles to introduce Franklin, the comic book's first black character, has died. Um, she's apparently was from Los Angeles, or a teacher from Los Angeles, and... Um, See, news of the passion was broken by the Peanuts-based website, the Og blog, because you got to say it like that. Author Nat Gertler, who knew Glickman personally, says her death was peaceful in her sleep and that the former school teacher had been well prepared for this, quote unquote. Yeah, rest in peace. She wrote a, a letter to uh, Charles Schultz about it, and I believe that's how that's uh, how that uh, inspiration for Franklin started. Mm-hmm. Which is also kind of not necessarily interesting and funny, but there's been some Franklin talk recently on some shows, uh, especially surrounding the Thanksgiving episode, but we're not going to get into that. Right. So, but yeah, um, my condolences, our condolences to uh, her family. Right. Next. All right. In, in, in another piece of sad news, Brian J. Bloom, co-founder of original Dungeons and Dragons publisher TSR, has passed away from Lewy body dementia and Parkinson's disease. He was only 70. Bloom co-founded Tactical Studies Rules. Man, I did not know that's what TSR stood for. I didn't until a couple of years ago. So, Tactical Studies Rules <laughs> with Gary Gygax in the early 1970s. It published the first edition of Dungeons & Dragons designed by Gygax, who passed away in 2008. Um, and Dave Arneson, who passed away in 20, uh, 2009. Uh, they 
they, they published that first edition in 1974. Bloom, along with his brother Kevin, remained active in the company until 1985, when the brothers when the brothers sold their shares to Lorraine Williams. Bloom was Bloom was active in promoting D and D internationally, and with his brother helped expand the company into toys, miniatures, and other licensed ventures. So rest in peace. And wow, tactical studies rules. Right. So if you're a fan of one D&D, obviously, and yes, Wizards of the Coast now hold the license to, to, to that Lock, Stock and Barrel and they're doing things with it. Um, they've also, which I would love for us to be able to do one of the things, and we've talked about this behind the scenes. They also, uh, TSR uh, published a uh, Marvel Comics version of basically Dungeons and Dragons uh, with, with a few different mod- modules. Mm-hmm. And there are ways to obtain these now well out of print things. Exactly. So go out there and get your, well, I mean, I would say get your second edition on, but because um, that's the most classic one of D&D. Or get your 5e on, or go seek out these Marvel, um, Marvel D&D uh, modules and have a game or two for in, in honor of uh, Mr. Bloom. Right. Next up, uh, comic book retailers struggling after Diamond pulls plug on new comics. Uh, while Monday's announcement that Diamond Comics distributors will be suspended, well, they already have uh, dis- uh, suspended delivery of new comics as of uh, April 1st, comic book retailers across the country are expecting to shut their doors. Um, and most believe publishers should not release most retailers, we should get made that clear, um, publishers should not release content digitally until the direct market returns, which is both sad, but absolutely, you know, I, I get it. You gotta, you know, yeah. Anyway, um, quote unquote, I think this needs to be a pause for all comics, regardless of format, meaning no new comics for digital retailers either, says Ben Bray, owner of Atomic Books in Baltimore, Maryland. Otherwise, it gives them an unfair advantage and makes any books stalled in the pipeline utterly unsettable. I don't think that's true. Um, not to mention turning uh, this into an opportunity to cut shops out altogether and get more folks to buy digital comics. Now, this is before all of this came about. This was kind of an age-old product, uh, an age-old problem with the the um, you know with bringing in digital versions of comics. So this kind of fight has been going on since then. But the happy medium has been made, guys. This guy makes a valid point some of that is not valid but you know like i said i am not anti um lcs i'm just saying i don't i think the both can exist happily even in this time but also get what w- what they're trying to right yeah it's going to cut right. them out because that's the, that's their bottom line that's their revenue you know um but at the same time i don't know i feel like i, I mean, also feel like that there's been ways to kind of circumvent this that they have that comic book shops have gone away from mm-hmm on their own. It's going to be a tough time for the industry because coming out of COVID-19, a lot of people, and I don't say this lightly, a lot of people are going to be lacking that disposable income and whatever they spend on entertainment or hobbies is probably going to be vastly curtailed at least for a little while. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be difficult for purveyors of entertainment and hobbies to you know eke out a living for a little while it's going to be tough so i definitely understand where they're coming from anything that might take away from possible sales i think 
you know, at least from the physical uh, retailer point of view, I, you know, I understand them trying to, you know, uh, to, to, uh, to, to, to put an end to that right away. I definitely understand that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's also, you know, there's creators that need to get paid. There's just, you know, there, there's all sorts of, uh, you know, uh, uh, people in the creative pipeline. Right, you know that 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 get comics produced that still need to get paid. So, um, you know, it, it's it, it obviously is going to be tough all around. Right. So. On, yeah. On the one hand, it feels like well, you know, comic shops are probably saying well they're not thinking of us, and, and at the same time, like you know, Agent uh, Seven kind of may have suggested not trying to put any words in your mouth. You know, other people outside of them are also getting getting make, are getting uh, messed around in this that they're not thinking about. Right. So ultimately, you, you know, it, it's it, no one. There's there are no winners here. Right. You know, as much as as much as comic book stores feel like they're getting the short end of the stick. So yeah. Um, you know, speaking of this, Dynamite has announced that uh, they are immediately pausing all digital distribution for new comic book releases with an original release date starting uh, April 1st, uh, yesterday as of this recording. The decision is in keeping with the industry at large, supporting all business partners in the most responsible manner, and making sure all fans are served the stories they desire on a level playing field. Book Book market releases that have not already been shipped are on pause as well. Uh, let's see. They Dynamite's already announced developing returnability options for retailers and a reshaped release schedule for comics intended for release in July and available to pre-order in May. Fans are encouraged to continue reading and purchasing the comics they love at this time through whichever means they prefer to support this community and art form cherished by many. Right. So even on that note, so we, you know... The, the industry, just like we said last week, are starting to have conversations about what should what they should do in this time. And obviously, have you seen with what DC is doing and what Dynamite here is doing? And I think Marvel's kind of buzzing about some stuff. I mean, I've seen people buzzing about it, which is weird to hear this. Like they should bring somebody was mentioning that they should bring back the mail order um, comics. I'm like, wait, Dave, that's never really left because I know it's Marvel's, never. Gonna... Yeah, right. Marvel's still been doing that for a while, and I know DC's been doing it. So that's not that's not something that's been gone. You know whether people know about it or not. As a matter of fact, somebody in the, in the thread I saw I was like, "Wait, that was a thing." I'm like, "Wait, there are people who actually did not know that that was a thing." Like you get mail order, you can get your subscriptions right. through the mail, right? But they're not going to do it now because that means a select few would get them. So, right. um, you know, and obviously there, you know, there's issues uh, like I said earlier throughout the entire uh, supply pipeline. Mm-hmm. So they may not even be able to get them from the printers. So, sure. um, at this point in time, let's just uh, take a you know, just this hit pause, as Governor Governor uh, Andrew Cuomo would say here in New York. Let's just hit pause on the comic book industry just for a little while and uh, deal with us as we talk news and Picard. So moving on. Yeah, and well, the last thing I was going to say is like there was a time where they were talking about doing like kiosk in the store for you can get digital copies or something like that, and that they, that was kind of poo pooed. And that, but either way, that still obviously would have met a snag in this thing. So. Uh, Dynamite and Comixology released second wave of free issues. Uh, so Dynamite Entertainment has renounced, has, has announced their second week of free releases on Comixology. Uh, there's a press release here. I won't go into it, but basically they basically threw out some free comics. Just number one issues of comics that they got out uh, fairly recent within the last couple of years, looks like. Um, 
to Comicsology, and you can go to check that out at the link that is uh, provided in the story. Okay. Uh, I don't know when. When is this supposed to come out? There's a uh, a graphic novel uh, adapting the video game turned movie Pokemon Detective Pikachu. It's written by Brian Bucciolato. Um, who is known for his comic book runs on Flash and Injustice, and uh, has artwork by Nelson Daniel or Daniel for capture, uh, you know, um, to capture the energy of the film. So, is this out? Is this supposed to have been out, out already? Out okay, it's out already. All right. So, have fun with that. I've still never seen that movie, but hey, whatever. Bioware celebrates 25 years with two new books. Dark Horse and Bioware are celebrating 25 years of the award-winning studio with Bioware stories and secrets from 25 years of game development and uh, Dragon Age, the first five graphic novels. Uh, so, yeah, I know there are some Dragon Age fans and there's also a Dragon Age book that would have still been coming and probably still be worked on, but just not going to be released anytime soon. Um, that I know people were excited about before everything happened. So, um, let's see. Be sure to pick up Mass Effect, the Collect comic book series. Wait, hold on. Oh, Bioware Stories and Secrets from 25 Years of Game Development will be available everywhere October 13th, 2020. Dragon Age, the first five graphic novels will be available October 27th of 2020. And Mass Effect, the complete comics book, comics uh, paperback collection will be on sale on September 22nd, 2020. Mass Effect, great series. You go check that out. And hey, if you want to check out the books. Next up. Okay, so um, <laughs> I'm not a big Magic the Gathering person. Shout but out to, um, shout out to, uh, um, <laughs> well, if I say one, shout out to BM and also shout out to uh, Matt Wang. That's right. Shout out at Matt Wang 97 because apparently Magic the Gathering just announced a new giant monster themed set. Ikoria Lair of the Behemoths, which actually includes kaiju like Godzilla. Godzilla, Wizards of Wizards of the Coast has released a trailer for a new kaiju giant monster themed set of its popular trading game, a trading card game, Magic the Gathering, called, like I said, Ikoria Lair of Behemoths. The trailer debuted live on Twitch on April second, uh, alongside a handful of new cards. So I'm scrolling through here. There are lots of new cards. I don't care. I don't care. All right. So with over 250 cards in the new set, uh, what's perhaps most exciting for people like me are the special alternate art versions of giant monsters named after Godzilla, Ghidorah, and Mothra in a partnership with their parent company, Toho. Yes. Um, so that's pretty cool. And... Uh... <laughs> Yeah, I didn't catch the announcement, but I but I caught some of this afterwards, and I know some people are that are quite excited. I am kind of slightly because that. So it's worth noting if you've been lapsed from Magic the Gathering, you're like Godzilla. They have nothing less, do they? Oh, well, apparently, that might be possibly true, but maybe not because their last expansion basically had to do with fairy tales and and uh, the like. So you can imagine, and it's going to be in standard, which means, yeah, it's going to be tournament ready, tournament ready uh, when this comes out. So you can imagine the decks that are going to come out from these two decks, from these two um, uh, expansions, and whatever else is in standard at this point. Right. 
So all I have to say is, what is a Magic the Gathering Ikoria um, Lair of Behemoths tournament going to look like with social physical distancing? Like we throw, throw cards at each other from six feet away? No. Uh, well, actually, no, because actually, you funny you should mention that because there is the Magic Arena, which is the free, um, the free, um, uh, basically the virtual version of Magic the Gathering. Who has been out for a while and it's probably still better, but it's fully functional, whatever. That Wizards of the Coast put out uh, last year, year before last, they have been doing like Friday night magic sections as in lieu of being able to go to the stores. So okay. technically, they can kind of recreate to a point some of that, you know, going to the, the, the um, magic store, uh, you know, feel to, to, oh, the, to a certain extent. So that's pretty much how they've been playing it so far. Um, and I don't know how that's been taken off, but I know they've been doing it for a couple of weeks because I've been meaning to check it out. Um, but I just haven't yet because I'd probably get the floor mopped. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd get mopped straight up. But I will probably check it out. And I don't know. We'll have to ask uh, Matt Wang if he's dealt, if he's uh, messed with it. Because I've been meaning to ask if he's been... if he's, he's I think last time I talked to him, he said that he hasn't uh, checked out Magic Arena yet. But that may have changed right now, but I also know he's busy still. Right. Yeah, there you go. That's probably how you know. Depending on how long this lands, that's probably how how um, how long they're gonna. That's how they're gonna handle it. Last but not least, folks, Dominique's Toretto's uh, 1970s Charger Kit from the Fast and Furious is now a Lego kit. So, and I think this this article kind of says that. Well, basically says that yeah, this is a Lego thing, and that. The Fast and Furious franchise is not necessarily the most kid friendly, although there's you know kids have shown up in it, but it's not necessarily the most kid friendly to overall. So having a Lego kit for it is it is what it is. But hell, there's a bunch of people that I'm sure we actually even know, grown folks that are into Legos. I was about to say these um, more expensive Lego kits are not for kids. Exactly. Let's let's not let's not kid ourselves here, folks. If you have been to a Lego store within the last year or two some of the more expensive lego sets are definitely not geared for children mm-hmm. or even teens those are for grown-ups who have disposable income yes uh shout out to um um former guest of the show and um uh i think he's a i dare say he's a, a lego head seek donnelly who actually I believe works at a uh, I'm putting his, putting his business out there, but I know I, he's had some deals with a Lego store. I think he may work for one. Um, so I don't was I don't know, but I know he's out there doing his thing, and I know he's kind of beginning Legos himself. I believe. Okay. Um. But yeah, so the, you can see some of the 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 stuff from. You can see some pictures of this. It is what it is, and yeah, there you go. Uh, you live your life a quarter brick at a time. And- oh no. <laughs> Uh, before we go into our tonight's discussion, how about let's hit up with an ad read, sir? So our first ad read of the night is for Funko Fun at First Sight, your home for exclusive collectibles such as their world-famous pop vinyl bobbleheads, apparel including t-shirts, hats, and socks, and brand merchandise, custom DIY pop figures, art books, and skateboards. And now the listeners of the Comic Book Chronicles can enjoy 10% off your entire purchase when shopping at Funko. So place your first order with 10% off, and to help keep our show free for you, go to our network website at cspn.us, that's cspn.us, then click on the Keep Our Podcasts free link at the top of the page. 
From there, scroll down to the Funko link and place your order. When you get to the checkout, put in the offer code SHOP10, S-H-O-P-10, for your 10% off discount. Funko through CSPN.us. Do it today. And with that, uh, folks, we are going to get into a nice little discussion about the first season of Star Trek Picard. Right, so major, major spoiler alert. I'm going to ring the bell because this is essentially a, a version of our Treasury Editions where we're going to be talking at length, full spoilers on, about uh, a recent uh, TV show or movie. So here we go in three, two, one. This was a terrible... Sh- no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, no! I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I have... So, I guess a little bit of a caveat. Uh, unlike Age of 70, I did not get to, to watch, like, the last show or so. So, that part is going to be a little sketchy for it. But for the most part, I enjoyed watching this. It's It was weird and actually kind of fun to see, you know, an older, much older John Luke Picard... You know, away from Starfleet, and um, you know, it was it was kind of, it's kind of sad because like, wow, he's gotten older, or they had him making looking because obviously he's you know on social media he doesn't. Seventy nine, huh? He's seventy nine. I know, but even if you've seen recent pictures of him, like he still looks better than kind of how they have him depicted on the show. But obviously, there's a lot of that lighting and effect and you know, intention. Right, 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 right. But that being said, like I said, we kind of start off with him. I, I, like, I don't know. I actually forgot to ask you how you want to start, but I guess we can kind of start with the first episode. And Yeah, I mean, I broad, broad strokes. I was, exactly. I was about to say broad strokes. I mean, just my, my overall thoughts on it before we get into some of the nitty gritty uh, as we go like episode by episode. Um, just in, in very broad strokes, I thought that the start of the show kind of dragged on a bit for the first maybe three episodes for me this is my personal sure um the middle surprisingly was where the dots of the mysteries started to connect and i thought the show ended on a relatively high note but also an anticlimactic note um uh this is a story point um i felt like uh the tone of the of the of the story and of the episodes was kind of reminiscent of the tone set in Deep Space Nine, where it's a little darker. There's like the the the, the, the threat of war kind of looming. Um, I kind of didn't have, and I guess it's because there's only ten episodes. I did not have a real connection to most of the members of the crew as they were being assembled over the course of the 10 episodes. So um, I thought that was a weakness. But like I said, that could also be a side effect of it only being 10 episodes. Um, and uh, one tidbit, uh, Issa Briones, who plays two roles, three roles, three really. Roles. Yeah. Right. Three roles, really, in the show, was actually a former um, member of the touring Hamilton group. And... Oh. Uh, and she actually sang a version of Blue Skies that uh, features prominently, I believe it's in the last episode. Mm. So, yeah, she played, um, I, I looked it up, she played uh, Peggy Schuyler and she was like an understudy for um, 
Angelica. So uh, Angelica Hamilton. So no, 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 Angelica. No, not Angelica Hamilton. It's Eliza Hamilton. Eliza is the one that marries Hamilton. So, okay. but um, but uh, yeah, she plays uh, two of the Schuyler sisters. On you know, as uh, a member of the Turing Hamilton troupe. You know, I guess right. You know, I guess before she was cast in this. Right. Okay. Cool. That's, I did not know that. Um, she definitely. I well, we'll get into that part a little, little bit more. But I would definitely say that for me, the so it was kind of weird. I especially once I got to the point where you said it kind of picks up for you. I felt like, but I felt like for me, it kind of already hit a stride. But that's only because. I was not expecting it, it to kind of come in running, even though in the first couple of episodes, there were a couple of couple of things that kind of was like, all right, they're, they're, they're running with this. You know, there was some action and there was this and another. I felt like they put, like, especially most, so as we've said before, most shows, if, especially most Star Trek shows, kind of start off slow with the first season because you got a lot of setup and this and that and the other. They knew they only had the 10 episodes to do this week to do this right so um they basically got up to speed i felt like they've got up to speed fairly in decent time and for me you know i guess i was caught up in the fact that like okay yeah we get to see we get to see what happened after you know picard did, you know did this and we got to see some you know interstitial stuff about what's causing all of this and there was a probably a bit even in the first episode that seemed a little um uh you could pretty much tell what was happening what was going to happen with in mm-hmm. certain cases um especially with her character specifically um and and even though some of it was kind of in or at least where her character what's the what's the the um whether they're linking her character to that was i would say what just in case anybody does not know you know some of that was like okay um sure we kind of saw that coming but at the same time like wait they kind of did this already back in tng but you know nobody remembers um who the girl's name who's escaped me who played that a similar part in a different way <laughs> nevertheless like I said, it got up to speed um i thought it was kind of weird in there that they that they kind of assembled almost uh seven samurai style in a, in a way mm-hmm. um especially with the one dude that the, i know you're going to bring up in a minute yes when we get to that episode yes uh but at the same time like there was still and of course, obviously, it wouldn't be Star Trek without a message or two because that same same um, you know uh, episode that that character kind of comes in on you know there was Card you know doing a thing that's like hey this is a message here and we get it Star Trek is still kind of Star Trek and there's nothing wrong with it I'm just saying that it was it was kind of blatant no it wasn't blatant that's the rush that's a little strong word but it was noticeable I put it that way okay not saying it was bad because. You know, it's it wouldn't be Star Trek if it did not have it, and I would not have it any other way. But overall, that said, I enjoyed the watch. Like I appreciate the way they filmed it, because obviously, you know, there are more places that are kind of going into the, especially with like the Marvel stuff. Uh, there was a more cinematic, um, you know, a more cinematic take in the in the filming of this, as opposed to as a matter of fact. And they had said that, like you know, before as things were filming. So I appreciated all of that because it does kind of make things a lot smoother than episodic shows in a lot of cases. Um, I think that's pretty much it for the to, for the initial stuff for me, though. All right. 
Because we'll definitely be getting into some of the other stuff, like you know, specific characters. Oh, we'll be there soon. We'll be oh, there. There is one more thing I want to say. Then this is probably getting ahead of that, so I just go ahead and get out of the way. I don't appreciate the fact that, and I just noticed it. Or I didn't just notice it, but I noticed the fact that the first four, maybe five characters uh, that died first were all black. I don't appreciate that. Were they? Well, at least the very first one. Like, obviously, there was some other deaths behind that, but I'm just saying the first people that actually, you know, pretty much died in the after orbit. So, in the one case, the only character, <laughs> they, they was like, yeah, they were all black. So I'm like, well, I got to go back and watch the first episode again. Particularly I, I, like that issue that that episode that the dude, um, that that that, that 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 dude comes in on, who we would get to. You know, that one was... Oh, I think I know what you're talking about. Oh, yeah. we'll get there. We'll get there. All right, anyway. so episode one. Yes. Remembrance, uh, directed by Hanel Culpepper, who directs, I believe, the first three episodes. Yep. Yes. Right, so, yeah, we kind of, we kind of um, you know, touched on a couple things here. What's funny about this and what really took me aback was that, um, you know, there's a couple things that are set up and not paid off that gets set up in the first episode. The first thing I noticed is that you wonder what's going on with the Federation. Like, is there corruption afoot and rot in the Federation? Um, we find out that Captain Picard is on the outs with the Federation. We find out why. Um, you know, uh, Picard's having dreams about data. Uh, we also learned that uh, Captain Picard has had to make some lifestyle changes. Uh, he orders tea, Earl Grey, decaf. <laughs> I was wondering if you couldn't pick that up. Yeah. I was like, what? And then I remembered, oh, yeah, he's supposed to be like in his 90s at this point. So now I get it. You know? <laughs> so, yo, you know what's funny? I was amazed and I'm and it kind of threw me a little bit during my watch of the first episode that the events of the JJ Abrams Star Trek lead into the events of this series. Right. I was right. like, wait, isn't that supposed to be a, an alternate timeline? What? Well see, that's just it. That's where the timeline splits. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's the event that splits the timeline. So yeah, so this is still Prime, and, and that's still Kelvin, but yeah. but I got you, I got you, I got you, I got you. In fact... Uh, an event of the split. Right. In fact, um, Star Trek Online, which is the MMO that is still currently running, um, that is also the, the split is, you know, they, they talk about the split there, and I think it is still set in the Prime universe. Uh, if I don't, yes, it is. And which actually brings up some questions about what happens uh, and underlying supply of uh, of the show that that uh, is a linchpin of a thing that happens but we, again we will probably get to that now for myself with that first episode i was like yeah all this like, and obviously you know the earl gray thing was what it was was like it was still a reference to that and this series has been no shortage of having like little references here and there um yeah they call it fan service i like it screw you guys who hate fan service see well, i don't think it was that that bad yeah those people are stupid like no there was just like little touches here and there like i, I hate that because people are just like oh well any t any um kind of reference to, to some of the old thing is it's fan service now and that's stupid like you can't reference something from the from the past with something that is clearly you know has some basis of this or of a thing like that's dumb 
Um, and speaking of this, with the thing with you know with data and um, the condition of Picard's that that gets brought up during the course of this issue is something that was brought up from you know from uh, from TNG also, which right. was weird that they brought it up and didn't really talk you know didn't really bring it back up until like later episodes like much later episodes but they did at least come back to it you know or touch upon it as um mm-hmm. but uh at the time of this first one we did not know where they was going to it but all we know is there was a as i say in my notes a mis- uh, mystery ends up turning into a mission for picard as he as he runs into um a thing um that um has to do with a dear friend of his that is no longer with him with us right Right. So, like we said, full spoiler alert has already been activated. So, you know, we're dealing with uh, uh, Issa Briones' character. The first iteration, uh, her first character's name is Dodge. And, you know, she gets activated uh, and uh, avenges the death of the first black person that dies. Um, That's how I remember it. Uh, That's her, you know, her boyfriend. And... Uh, you know, she's on a quest to uh, to look for Captain Picard because apparently uh, she is under the impression that he is the only person that can help. Uh, Captain Picard kind of figures out that she is not what she seems. Mm-hmm. And it turns out that she is, in fact, a synthetic uh, humanoid in the in the, the way data was. Right. In fact, more, it, right. In fact, it runs closer than that because it is. Um, intonated that she could very well be quote unquote Data's daughter. Um, right. Which, you know, that right there will kind of set some TNG folks off if you've not seen uh, Picard because yes, there has already been a uh, Data's um, Data's daughter episode of TNG, if I remember correctly. Right. But this kind of takes that and kind of goes goes a little further with it. Right. Because as Agent Seventy says, like she has, she avenges her boyfriend. And she goes out to see out uh, Picard, and their meeting ends up being rather short, because um, you know she runs away from him, and then we start seeing some some things that get picked up in later episodes uh, because she she makes a contact with somebody, something happened, and we start to see in her kind of we get to see more of her than Picard and them get to see at uh, this time, but then she kind of goes off. Then she meets back up with Picard again. Uh, a pretty good and decent fight ends up happening, and we lose her. Yeah, they actually, I think, spent a decent amount of money on that uh, fight sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, it was pretty well done. I was very surprised by it. Um, also, the Romulan spit uh, some sort of uh, acid, and that was kind of gross. Yeah, um, it was and, like it was a combination of like cyanide and also some kind of corrosive or something like that. Right. That was pretty, pretty gross. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a, that was interesting. Uh, we're also introduced in this episode to what is her name? Tamara Smita. No, 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 no. I'm talking about the blonde lady, uh, Gerardi. Oh, right, Agnes Gerardi. Yes, sorry, Agnes Gerardi. She is a scientist at the Daystrom Institute, and uh, you know that's where her. Um, that's where whatchamacallit, that's where I guess some of the the, the detective work starts with uh, for Picard figuring out that she's not uh, exactly human. Right. And I'm glad that you bring up uh, Tamlin Tamita, because shout out to Tamlin Tamita, <laughs> still throwing 95 miles an hour 
all these years later after kicking Daniel LaRusso to the curb mm. uh, post Karate Kid Part 2. Yes, yes. She's still putting it down on the ground, folks, um, with, her, with her acting, amongst other things. But um, let me stop. It's not nice. <laughs> she's a, hey, look, she's a very attractive woman, even now. Um, but yeah, she, she, she comes in as a... And here's what I thought, because obviously, so there's another part that we did not talk about yet. So we also get to meet two Romulans that are uh, a Romulan couple who apparently we find out later who were in the Tal Shiar. That's going to be a thing um, that lived with Jean-Luc Picard. Uh, and w- there was also a um, news thing that he ended up doing, and he ended up blowing up. That kind of comes up back and forth every now and then, but you know, as a as a little thing. But nevertheless, so this couple is staying with John Luke, and you know, obviously they are you know friends, family, whatever the case may be, on the vineyard. Uh, and early on, they kind of you know they come in. You get to know their role early on and what they are to to John Luke. Right. Uh, in the first couple of issues, but I mean, in the first couple of episodes. Uh, that being said, Tomlin Tomita's character of Commander O had me thinking, oh, wait, they so they finally let Romulans into Starfleet, which probably could have happened. But we come to find out that she is a Vulcan. And obviously, as people right. know, Vulcans and, and uh, Vulcans and Romulans are cousins. Right, actually, genetic the same, but they split off because of emotion thing. We, y'all know that, and we don't have to go through all of that. Right, and if you don't know, look it up. Right. So, uh, just real quick, before we move on to the second episode, um, essentially, what we were referring to earlier, the um, the initiating event of the split in the timelines, uh, in the Star Trek timeline, is the uh, supernova of the sun um closest to uh the planet romulus and um the uh the evacuation of that of the systems uh, uh denizens the inhabitants is what causes the rift between picard and the federation because picard is trying to uh relocate all these romulans from um uh the, the 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 sun that is about to go supernova, you know. I guess before or 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 while they're trying to figure out, uh, or 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 while Spock is trying to come up with that plan with the red matter. So um, Picard's trying to uh, evacuate everybody, and obviously the Romulans don't exactly have the best reputation amongst um, members of the Federation, and that causes a, a huge rift between. Uh, Picard and the rest of the uh, the higher ups in the Federation because they you know harbor some bad feelings and resentment towards the Romulans. So um, you know Picard is essentially saying you know this is what the Federation's all about. We're supposed to be you know um, we're supposed to be merciful and help these people in their time of need. So right, basically a, a humanitarian effort as opposed right. to a military one. Right. So at the end of the day, that's a that that's that that's kind of the uh, the driving force behind several of the first episodes of this story. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we can kind of uh, actually let me do notes because I don't necessarily have anything for for episode two. But well, I mean, we could just highlight what happens. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. Oh wait, and there's another thing that actually gets brought up in, in two. Well, it gets brought up in two officially because the event along with the supernova that is the catalyst of why uh so synthetics get banned 
uh, at a certain point, and it's because uh, Utopia Palencia got attacked by a bunch of synthetics, and therefore they called for the ban of uh, synthetic life forms, which Data was one, but at that time he was already gone, so that was it is what it is. But apparently, synthetics was still a thing, and uh, which is another uh, thing that the ser- series kind of goes into leading up to the end of it. In fact, it basically ends up being the main thing. Uh, um, and as a thing I will point out in episode four, but I won't do it now. Right. We'll get there soon. Yeah. So yeah, essentially the, you know, the shipyards are on Mars and that's something that, uh, Captain Picard kind of hints at in a dream sequence in the first episode. Um, in the second episode, uh, Picard is investigating Dodge's, uh, death and trying to track down the, uh, uh, we, we learn at the end of episode one that, uh, Dodge has a sister named Soji. And um, uh, Picard is uh, going to track her down, um, you know, uh, with the help of um, one of the Romulan housekeepers, a former Tal Shihar. Mm-hmm. Uh, he finds out, you know, he figures out what's uh, uh, who might be behind it. And um, the assassins may be part of the Zot Vash, an organization even more secretive than the Tal Shiar that holds a deep-rooted hatred of synthetics that we uh, go into later in the series. Um, yeah, they bring up uh, Picard's uh, physical condition, his brain condition in this episode. Uh, Picard is looking for a ship, and Admiral Clancy, who is a recur- who, who is a returning character. Uh, curses at him and shuts him down. <laughs> yes. Which I, that scene was like, oh, oh, where is this going? And like, oh, that's it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, Commodore O, uh, Tamlin Tamita, uh, fig- uh, finds out about Picard's request and um, instructs, uh, she, she instructs an operative named Nerissa, uh, who uh, we think is a uh, uh, Vulcan, but it also turns out to be Romulan. And, uh, she's on, you know, she's got her mission and, um, that's pretty much where we leave off in this episode. Right. Uh, yeah. And the way she is, she is, as we will find out, we won't, we won't get to the, uh, the, the old thing right now, but yeah, which I think her operative definitely was, um, Romulan as is her brother who actually shows up in this, uh, right. But yeah, so he showed up in the first episode. We'll find out very soon uh, what what that's all about. Exactly. So we we'll go to episode three, which um, um, you know, at the end of episode two, Picard's like, "Well, I got already put out a call," which he did. Uh, we didn't get to see who it was until this one. He calls upon an old um, Starfleet uh, person, whom, by the way, whose name is uh, Rafaela Mustafa. Who? Uh, sorry, not, not, not Mustafa. Not Mustafa. Um, Musikar, sorry, I'm th- that was terrible of me. But Musikar. Now, this character was in worth noting was in the prequel comics that has is already out now, so you, you should be able to find them out there on Comicsology or whatever. Um, played by Michelle Hurd. Michelle Hurd is a you may have you if you've not you may not know the name, but you've seen her. I could have sworn she was an old character from Star Trek because I feel like she had been in Star Trek before. Uh, specifically in TNG, but that's probably not the case. 
or I haven't seen any indication of that. Nevertheless, she is there. You've also seen her in the Netflix um, uh, Marvel stuff because she played a DEA until she got killed in one of them. I can't remember what it was. But she's a hell of an actress. She, she shows up here when um, Picard comes to her door and asks for help. She relents eventually after a bottle of wine gets shown and we end, start to end up to find that out, or at least in later episodes, that she has uh, some, some problems of her own to, to deal out, as well as some of the other characters we end up meeting. So she, uh, Picard asks for help. She's like, no, nah, but then she actually relents. Go back. She finds a, a pilot for the ship and a ship whom is a type of ship we don't really get to see uh, in, in Star Trek forward. And we also get to see some of the tech, actually, in the, especially in these last couple of issues that we don't have, we haven't seen in Star Trek that much before. But it has been some time. Technology changes. And I say that because it was kind of jarring at first. It was like, well, wait, I know how this stuff worked this way, but um, it seemed like they blended, they may have blended a little bit of the 2009 tech as far as transporter technology is concerned. And I bring that up because you don't necessarily see them. You've seen it happen a couple of times where they're walking and then get transported. So that, but it never happened that often because budgets and stuff. Nevertheless, um, I'm seeing. Yeah, Rafi's Rafi, uh, who suspects Romulan involvement, and and you get um, you later find out that hey, you know, you get a little bit more into Rafi and Picard's relationship, and it has something to do with the the, the whole. Uh, uh, the Romulan project where they're trying to move people and Picard ended up leaving and she got fired for, for it, which basically ruined her career. And she blames that's why, which is why she blames Picard. But again, and then we, uh, we uh, get some other stuff where there's a board cube where, uh, where oh, hold, that thought, hold that thought for a second. Okay, sure. That was, that was a great reveal at the end of the first episode. Yeah. I have to say that, the reveal of a Borg cube being used by Romulans mm-hmm. as a science experiment, basically, at the end of the first episode was a great reveal. Right. Carry on. Yes. And we actually am glad you mentioned that because that comes up, obviously, that comes up as a thing within the whole series uh, season itself. But also because, and I know in one of the episodes, uh, a thing that seems to uh, counteract something from a TNG episode about Romulus and cyberneticists, you know, was kind of put out there, but apparently was explained away some kind of way. Regardless, and I think it was this episode, I can't remember, I'm a little, a little light on that one. But regardless, yeah, seeing the board cube, and I was like, I, I don't know if you were like, like, hey, what the heck is this, and Romulans? What, what, what the world is going on? Because at first I was thinking, is this the same one that either... Picard was on, but I think that was totally blown, or the one that was from the end of Voyager, which was heading to Earth, but I, neither seemed to, may or may not be the case. I right, don't think I don't even... think, yeah, exactly, I don't think they go into it, I think that it's just one of however many there were. Right. Um, I wanted to mention that, uh, you know, we're introduced in this episode to uh, Chris Rios, the pilot, Um you know, that's the pilot that uh, that Rafi recommends to Captain Picard. Um, we also find out that an old Borg friend of ours mm-hmm. yes. is back. And that is Hugh. Yes. Former Borg drone who is aboard the uh, the Borg cube as uh, Project of the Head. Yeah. 
And yes, and you've come to find out during the course of the season, which we will get to, that he's not the only one that shows up that is Borg-related, which now which kind of explains why one particular person shows up uh, in a couple of episodes. But to finish out episode three, um, yeah, we see Narek, who's this Romulan uh, spy, and who um, has been getting close. Yeah, he's been getting it on. Yeah, with, he's been getting uh, it on with the, so- the, the other twin that uh, right. of... Um, uh, uh, of that uh, that Picard's looking for, whose name is Soji, uh, and she's aboard this uh, Robinson Cube as a researcher, and you know that kind of stuff. And and as Agent Seventy says, they get it on just right off the bat. Which, by the way, we also notice when we meet um, the the pilot and uh, and the uh, Doctor Gerardi meet. We can also kind of start seeing it's like, okay, we know they're going to get it on at some time. Spoiler alert: they do. Yeah. Or to a point, but um, so yeah, we we get that, and then we get a little bit more with um, with Commander or Commodore O, who before we see a flash of her talking to Doctor Roddy, and this is well after the, or this is after you know she was already on the ship, but we kind of get a flash of that. Um, or actually, this is before that, excuse me. But then they get on um, uh, uh, the Rios' ship. Apparently, the the ship is called La Serena. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, think, think the Defiant, but if it was, the Defiant was a racer and a freighter, so maybe like the, the Falcon, but maybe a little smarter. It reminded me a lot of the uh, the Maquis ships. Um, yes, you know, like you know, they would they would they, you know they were just small, you know, like smaller, not as small as the Maquis ships. Right, those were like like little, like you know, like they're barely bigger than shuttles. They sometimes. were basically like runabouts, yeah, a little more right. runabouts. So, uh, you know, the you know these are you know this was like uh, a, a, definitely a smaller ship, different, definitely a, a design that that it, it took me some time to get used to because I kept looking for a circular ship. <laughs> Oh, I was looking for Federation ships, right. and we didn't get any until pretty much the last episode. So, um, you know, it's it, it's it's jarring for me. But my my experience and my exposure to Star Trek is not as I'm not as well versed as Roddy Cat. So, right. um, it took me a little while to get used to seeing this particular ship design. Right. But um, moving on, um, let's see uh, the the the. One of the things that's going on on the Borg cube is that they are reclaiming uh, former Borg drones, specifically groups of Romulans. Mm-hmm. And uh, some stuff happens where a Romulan, a former Borg drone, a formula, a former Romulan Borg drone uh, tries to uh, kill um, either herself or Soji or both. Both. And... Um, you know, we you know we find out there's some 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 uh, deeper stuff going on with Soji, mm-hmm. and um, uh, let's see, uh, yeah. So, um, you know, I think we end up with Gerardi, uh, Picard, uh, Rafi. and Rafi getting on Rios' ship, the La Serena, Serena, mm-hmm. and um, they are going to the planet Freebird. I mean, Free Cloud, Psst. where. Uh, Gerardi believes Bruce Maddox, um, you know, the, for, the one of the people behind um, uh, the Daystrom Institute is being is located now. Or specifically the the uh, project that was putting out synthetics. Right. We're, we're basically studying synthetics. 
in, in particular because that comes into play uh, at some point, especially with Girardi. But um, so yeah, there is that, and of course we get to see uh, at the end of this we see uh, Picard saying "engage" because you can't you know you you can't have him about without saying. We already called three episodes, right? <laughs> <laughs> at some point, which as I will go back and say, like so the little touches, and especially like going back to saying real quick, and before we go to the next one, so like yeah, most of the ship stuff we see is like we yeah we see some ship stuff there, and we see some stuff in the past and whatnot, but most of the stuff that is evocative of TNG come in the form of like the music that plays um Picard goes to, to Starfleet a couple of times and you see the the um the the um uh the Enterprise D and E the uh well actually specifically the D that um you know, that that is a hologram over overhead and of course you hear the 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 music associated and to invoke that feeling I like comes by so so for the most part that's kind of how we get some of the little touches of um, outside of low references here and there of, you know, TNG. Now we can go on to uh, episode four, which I know Agent 7 has been waiting for this because a character, his favorite character, is now coming into play. Um, in this episode... Oh, no! We are here already, episode four! Well, yeah, we kind of want to kind of speed through this a little bit more, but yeah. Right, right, right. Um, so we're moving, we're moving! Yes. We're... Wait, 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 what am I thinking of? We are oh, moving! We oh, are moving. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, trading places. That's um, right. Oh, I think actually, wait, one more thing at the end of the day, because I could have sworn there was, a, I don't know if you remember this, and I, I can't remember if it was three or four when this happens, but there was something that happened, we thought happened with Bruce Maddox at the end of this. And I can't remember if it was in this one or four. Regardless. It's later, it's later. Yeah. And you know what I'm talking about, because it's, it's, it's kind of weird that it happens. To, anyway, uh, episode four, Absolute Candor. Directed by one William Riker, aka Jonathan Frakes, uh, and here we have uh, Picard asking Rios to make a detour to the planet Vashti, um, which is weird because Vashti Vash is a person of uh, note to Picard and from TNG, and I believe there was a reference to her in season three. I mean, not season three in episode three, which it could be this planet. I don't know if that's the case or not, but it's kind of funny that Vash kind of gets brought up regardless um where he helped uh, relocate romulan refugees before the attack on mars uh he calls on the kuat milat which basically is um probably could be my favorite group of this whole series they're basically dora milage who are romulan and express their feelings just outright um they were they were called uh and i quote romulan warrior nuns folks I, had, I made sure to put that in my notes. Right. But with them, they also have this character who uh, is, and obviously they are all women, just like the Dora Miller, which is the wide distinction there. But they were also taking care of this kid named El, Elnor, uh, who's a dude, but he also, you know, grew up under them and whatnot. And we see a flashback of Picard meeting uh, the kid. Or not meeting, re-meeting the kid, because they already knew each other at the time, but, you know, doing some stuff with the kid. Now, obviously... People in TNG know that Picard had a thing about kids back in the day, and that even got brought up as a reference uh, in this in this uh, in this episode. Right. So right. he never really settled down. So you know, he was always kind of like the fun uncle. Exactly. Um, well, not so fun uncle. Like he's not. He didn't necessarily on TNG. He didn't necessarily care for kids until that one episode. Right. He had to deal with them. Exactly. So he's the he's the cranky uncle. Let's put yeah. it that way. So. Um, uh, 
so yeah, so he so he's you know he kind of leaves uh, Elnor in a lurch, and then we find Elnor as a grown up, and he's Romulan Legolas, uh, with no bow and arrow, like literally, but a sword. It's right. He's got he's got a, a sword instead of a bow and arrow, but you know Legolas had like the cool daggers, mm-hmm. but he's got the same look, same wiry build, same hair. Yes. So Stark would have seen him and basically called him Legolas straight up. Right. No doubt. No doubt. No doubt. So, um, you know, it, it, it's it's kind of wild. So um, hold on. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, yeah. Basically, some Romulans try to uh, try to take out Picard for coming back. And uh, Elnor says, uh, not on my watch. And takes out another black dude, I think. Yep. Um, so uh, I was just like, "Whoa, black Romulan!" Uh, so they made they made sure to, to pan the, the you know every time they show some they made sure that it looked like a, a mix of folks. So yeah, you saw definitely a a good mix of uh, different covered Romulans. Right, more so than ever, more so than I can ever remember. Exactly. So, um, right, so I don't recall all, you know, like, we're looking at some of the summaries, I'm like, I don't remember Rios and Rafi fighting a battle with the local warlord aboard the ship, but okay, Picard, that's where Picard and Elnor beam up to. No, they did, yeah, those was like, because remember they said something like, yeah, this dude controls the area, he's got this old bird of prey. Oh, I now I remember, okay, okay, yeah. okay. And they get rescued by a ship that they have to rescue. Right. Right. Which was ended up being somebody we know. But before that, yeah, and yeah, the reason why the Romans were going after Picard was because there was an area that was like saying basically no Rom, you know, Romans only. And he kind of started up this, the hornet's nest. And then that's when um, Romulan El- uh, Legolas came to his rescue. Um, and then they left to go on the ship to, in, to end up, uh, you know, like I said, getting chased by this other, the, the birds of prey. The bird of prey, excuse me, it was only one. It was an older model. Matter of fact, Specifically, a, a TOS version of uh, Bird of Prey. Okay. Because um, they—that's a—you know—they made sure to put that in there, which is kind of funny because I think it's like the second time I've seen one. Anyway, regardless, and they end up sh- uh, sh- uh, saving someone who we end up finding out to be Seven of Nine. Oh, Seven of Nine. Hello, Jerry Ryan. Exactly from Star Trek Voyager. It's been a long time. I was about to say, side note, all this talk of Legolas makes me want to watch uh, Lord of the Rings again. Me too. So... <laughs> You're not the only one, because when you even said that before the show, I was like, dang, I hadn't seen that in a minute. I'm going to yeah, I'm gonna have to queue up the uh, the movies either on iTunes. I actually own them uh, digitally on iTunes and, uh, yeah. and uh, whatchamacallit. And, and I, have uh, I haven't seen those either, actually. I've never seen I, those, but I've definitely seen the, tr- the first trilogy. Yeah. I was about to say, I have the Blu-rays of the extended edition of Lord of the Rings, but I do not own The Hobbit. But right. I know that's available online. Anyway, mm-hmm. getting back to this. Um, uh, yeah, so Seven of Nine shows up, which is awesome, and she definitely steals a lot of the scenes that she's in. Um, we find out that she is affiliated with this... Uh, with this... Uh, with this... With this weird group... Uh, I think that we find that out in the next episode, actually. Yes. Um, so, so just to wrap this episode, um, let's see here. You know, we, we get some more uh, stuff with Narek um, uh, dealing with Soji and um, who the hell is Rizzo? Um, oh, Rizzo is the sister. Right. Rizzo is his sister. I'm like, Rizzo, isn't that a character from Greece? Isn't that? Um, <laughs> yes. Isn't that? Uh, isn't that? What's her face? Um, 
Mrs. Bartlett. Um, oh, uh, 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 oh, what is her? About? Yes, it is her. Name. Anyway, um, there's a character that he has a week to get the location of of the other synthetics from Soji before uh, she uh, goes. She switches to her own more cruel methods. Next up. Exactly. We get into episode five, Stardust City Rag, also directed by uh, William Riker, a.k.a. Jonathan Frakes. Uh, we get a flashback of Seven of Nine, Mercy Killing Ichab, who was another kid who uh, from Voyager, who was a kid from Voyager, who was Borg, uh, Borg um, assimilated. I didn't remember this. I needed to look this up. Yeah. So I, and I knew because I, I did watch it. He was one of there were like three kids uh, in like later season or it's like three or four kids that in later season that uh Forger ended up rescuing and had on the ship for a little while. Um and each had being one of them. But apparently uh he didn't make it because we come to find out that an old acquaintance of um of uh Seven of Nine, aka clone <laughs> clone Marina Sardis, um uh, has been looking who's who's been shopping for Borg parts and been cutting out of them mercilessly. So uh, in this episode, uh, the crew ends up going to uh, to the to Freak Loud. Actually, wait, was it a Freak Loud that they ended up in already? Yeah, yeah, because they had the, the de- they had a detour from Freak Loud, but now they're right. in. So they end up on Freak Cloud like they want to. Uh, Raffi goes on her own thing because she's looking for her her son, which is a sad thing, and she's kind of a mess. But she, you know, to, that that's the thing. And you find out some some more backstory on her. Meanwhile, Picard and the crew uh, are basically undercover of on this trade deal between uh, I called her Bedazzle, but her her name is actually Bejazel. <laughs> who is Marina the clone Marina Sardis and I will say that for a good while because she looks just like uh, uh, TNG era uh, off the, the um, Deanna Troy, Troy. Yeah, Deanna yeah Troy yeah agreed so it was like wow she's, that's not bad I, was, I almost went to go see if they were actually related but I didn't actually I did not um, but anyway so you know Seven recovers because at the end of the last issue, that you know, because of the battle, she got shook up and now she was resting. There, there's a hollow program where uh, that's uh, uh, Picard's home back in France that that they start getting used, and apparently because they had that set and they want to really use it. Um, uh, I had to ask the question of when did Seven and, and Picard meet, which that doesn't get answered to, but but being the, the fact that he was part board for a while, it kind of makes sense that they would, you know, at some point. Even if they did meet, they would know of, you know, one would know of the other. Right. And they do because they talk. And Seven gets kind of brought into the fold for this mission uh, where uh, Picard, Rios, uh, and I guess, yeah, and Lekalos ends up going also. But, you know, uh, while Gerardi ends up manning the transporter duty, while everybody's basically trying to um, find this uh, Bejazel person. But what we do end up finding out that they're trying, um, get, they're trying to get Bruce Maddox back. Yes, they are trying to get Bruce Maddox back, and they find out that he's on Free Cloud, and which we also find out, I believe, in the course of this issue of this episode. As a matter of fact, at first, we find out that um, Maddox goes to Bajazel, and she seemingly kills him or poisons him. 
but it seems like she killed him. So, which going to make what happens later on in the episode kind of weird for me. Um, so anyway, they go undercover. It goes while we find out that Seven of Nine and Bajazel know each other from the past, and we find out, you know, that Seven of Nine is not necessarily on here for good intentions. She's trying to kill her because it's a revenge thing because of uh, Echab and other folks that have been Borgler assimilated that are, you know, um, that are free from you know, and still have their implants. And we find out how cruel Bajazel is. Um, Long story short, Seven of Nine ends up getting her revenge, but not before Picard and crew try to talk her down, which we thought was going to happen. But then she turns around and goes in guns and blazes and gets badass for a, for a few seconds. And we don't see Seven of Nine again yet. Um, meanwhile, like I said, Raffi ends up coming back on board because she was supposed to stay there on Free Cow because she, she was going to stay with her son, which that didn't work out. Um... Ads apparently live on in the 24th century, and there are just as annoying as you'd think they would be, especially with holograms afoot. Um, that's the gist of it. And we get a little bit more on uh, Gerardi, who ends up taking out Mattis for real, for real, at the end of this, because of something we found out in a later episode. Uh, if I missed anything, you let me know. Right, 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 right. No, no, no. You got it. You got it. You got it. I remember that. Okay. Uh, yeah, we covered. Yeah, we covered everything. So we can move on. Um, oh, just the one note. The one note about I think Stardust City Rag is that um, I think this is named after a, a David Bowie uh, character um, that he, you know, like a, you know, that uh, he 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 uh, made some music with oh, under. Sure. Yes, yes, yes. Um, yes, yes, yes. I mean, I'm not that familiar with it, so you know, I'm, I'm no expert. Well, I'm, you know, I don't know because I never did see if that was actually the case or not. But yes, uh, Ziggy Stardust, which was yes, yeah, a, a Bowie character. I don't know if that's actually the case of. It's probably that seems likely, but I don't. It know. Probably is. Yeah. It probably. Is. Yeah, and um, I uh, I think we covered everything. Oh, I now I remember. Um, Captain Picard masquerading as uh, a, I think a bounty hunter with a heavy French accent. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, almost like if you think a, a 60s era villain, that's kind of what he was going to a little over the top there, but it was pretty funny. Right, and it was pretty cool. Uh, did you? I think you mentioned it. Uh, I apologize. I was a little distracted. Uh, that Seven of Nine actually does um, do the do uh, 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 take out her aggression. Okay, you did mention it. Okay. All right, so next up, uh, episode six, The Impossible Box, directed by uh, Ma- Maha Vervilo. Um, I guess Maja? So, I don't know. Yeah, anyway. You got me, Maja? Yeah. Maja Vervilo. Uh, Soji is experiencing a recurring dream of her childhood as we uh, enter into this episode. Um, Narek believes that exploring her dream is going to reveal the location of her homeworld, which comes into play later. Mm-hmm. Um uh, Gerardi tells uh, Admiral Picard that Maddox died as a result of his injuries. She's lying. <laughs> and um, uh, Raffi persuades a Starfleet contact to issue Picard uh, temporary diplomatic credentials so they can go back to uh, the Borg cube and um, so that he can meet with Hugh. Uh, let's see here. Blah, blah, blah. Um, 
Da, da, da. Oh, all right. So yeah, so Narek and Narek is trying to help Soji uh, figure out what she's dreaming about, and it's all a ploy to find out where she's from. Um, let's see. Uh, that's enough information for Narek. Uh, for Narek and, and, and Rizzo to start looking for uh, Soji's planet. Narek tries to kill Soji. This is where the betrayal is. Betrayal, most foul. And Soji escapes and uh, meets up with Captain uh, Admiral Picard and Hugh. Um, Hugh takes Picard and Soji to uh, emergency long-distance transportation device, which allows them to escape the cube. Romulan guards try to stop them. But uh, Romulan uh, Legolas appears and kills them before staying behind with Hugh to hold off the pursuers. And that takes us to episode seven. Right. Well, before you do that, there's one other other piece. So there was a reference in here that was being made. And it says, what does the Tal Shiar need with the synth? Which that's a big key thing, because uh, as we learn if not this episode, then previous episode, that the Tal Shiar does not like synthetics or anything artificial life, and even their computers are just straight-up number crunchers, and that's basically it. We, we find this out like um, back. So, the fact that they are after a synthetic, um, a synthetic person is kind of the underlying thing of this, because they don't like synthetics, or, or like I just said. So, when it's brought up that what does the, the tall shiar need with the synth it reminds me of if you're here with me what does god need with a starship hmm. from star trek 5 i don't know if that was a if that was an intentional reference but it totally did now we can move on to episode 7 which is called uh nepenthe which also reminded me of rurapenthe which was the uh klingon prison planet if i'm not mistaken or something like that. I don't know. I might be wrong. Uh, flashback reveals that Commodore O had mind melded with Jurati to convince her of the danger of synthetic life, which is why Jury killed Maddox in the last episode. So she's being duped. Which I, re- I don't recall mind melds being able to, to um, implant memories, but it's probably the case. I wouldn't be surprised. And had her ingest a tracking device, which comes, comes into play. Um, Picard, so this is, yes. I do. I love this episode because of the fact that we get uh, reintroduced, or we find that um, Picard. Wait, hang on, that's not right. Oh yeah, no, that's right. That's right. Uh, Picard takes Soji to Nepenthe, Nepenthe, I believe it's called, where William Riker and Deanna Troy stay with their kids. So we get to see early in the episode. Uh, um, uh, one Will Riker and 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 Troy come back into the fold for a minute, and that was a yeah. Obviously, you know, that was a good you know. I, you, you had you love to see it. That's all I'm saying. Cause it was like oh, it was a good heartfelt moment. You know, apparently Riker being Riker, he was kind of prepared because when um not prepared, but he was like they've got things set up on his thing. I assume I don't know if Picard's got something like that because you know Riker's like I said. If you know record of old, he's always like, look, shoot first, extra first, first, but let's be prepared for shit. So he's got all kind of safeguards around his house. Um, when Picard and he talk about what's going on, they offer Picard sanctuary and um, and their daughter tries to befriend Soji. Uh, Soji learns, finally learns that she's actually, she's uh, synthetic. 
uh, and has trouble trusting anyone after Nerf's betrayal, but she then tells them about her dream, and Kestra is able to learn the planet's location from a family friend. Mm-hmm. So now they know where the planet is, and and um, and I also, and if I'm not mistaken, they, um, you know, Soji also goes into the thing. It's like, yeah, well, now they know. Now the Romans know where it is because she told them, you know, when they were walking that dream sequence or whatever, that dream walk that she was going on in the last episode. Um, says Kestra says Kestra encourages Soji to trust Picard, and now she does. Um, Hugh gets killed, which is sad because that you know, sucked. yeah. That was a, and a bunch of other Borg too, because she was like she was so, so yeah. That's, that's what I probably forgot. So yeah, early in that episode, she was trying to find out where Picard meant, went because you know he was um. Stalker Channing. Sorry about that. Oh no! Yes, yes, yes. Stalker Channing. Rizzo. Who's Rizzo. Sorry about that. Which, by the way, Narissa is her name. Not, but I think that's who somebody calls her Rizzo. But her uh, Narissa is her full name. Right. Her actual name. Or at least, excuse me, the, the name that she tells folks, which that's a whole Romulan thing we're not getting into. Uh, right. But yeah, she kills a bunch of Borg before killing Hugh later on. And um, we find out that Elnor, a.k.a. Romulan Lo- um, uh, Legolas, stays on the cube as of last episode because he wanted to help them out because of what was going on. Um, uh, Hugh tells Elnor that uh, he needs a form of Borg to activate the Queen's cell and take control of the artifact, which they saw of the thing that took away uh, Picard last episode. Um, and that Borg Cube is called the Art Artifact, so we will probably refer to it as that instead of Borg Cube from now on, or Borg Cube, I don't care. Um, Elnor uses the SOS beacon that Seven left Picard to help. I don't know where he got it from. It was on the floor. But I thought she took it with him. That was the thing that kind of was like, wait, because I remember, because I think Rios put it on the thing. Oh, right. That's right. Because he did get yeah, because Seven gave it to Picard. And he drops and it. And he dropped it. That's right. I totally forgot about that. You're right. And say that you hear about this. You think about I think this stuff he, later. I think, he dro- I think he dropped it before he went through the transporter. Yes. I think that's the case. And then that's when uh, Legolas ends up finding it. So yeah, so that's pretty much that, and they um well let's see duh, 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 duh. yeah, so before the crew of the the Serena the uh, uh, Rios and them were trapped in the, in the tracking beam, but they could finally get out. But when when the Romulans found out that um they didn't have Picard, uh, so they got let go. So they went after Picard, knowing where they were. Uh, and they were getting followed Boba Fett style by um uh, Narek. That's right. So, and then, oh, right. I forgot about that. Yeah, Gerardi uses a neurotoxin to put herself in a coma and disable the tracker that we found out about earlier in the episode. Um, and the ship reaches uh, the Penth and picks up Picard and Soji. Death ending the episode. Right, 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 right. Okay. And I don't think I have. Oh, yeah. No, I pretty much said what's episode seven. Just like I said, we see what uh, Commander or I mean, Commodore O got into early on. So, right. Next. Yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, this is uh, going to, this episode in particular brings back a lot of nostalgia because mm-hmm. you get uh, Commander Riker and uh, Counselor Troy 
I forget what their updated ranks are, but uh, yeah, it's them living a life and also talking about the son they lost. Mm-hmm. So that's an interesting little tidbit. I don't remember if that had been revealed yet. I think that was like uh, yeah after because obviously there's sometimes this is this whole thing sets takes place sometime after TNG like like good 14, 15 years. Yeah, after the movies, right? After the movies as well. So exactly. Yeah, after um, especially uh, was the first Nemesis. Nemesis last one i don't even remember nemesis i made a note of that saying that um you know the 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 what you want to call it this movie stems from what happens in star trek nemesis mm-hmm. which i don't remember at all yeah so i'm gonna probably backtrack i mean i you know there's a reason why i don't remember them because they weren't that good but i'll probably just backtrack and just see you know how all the the you know see what um particular threads uh the folks at on picard picked up picked up on um right. that came out of um came out of nemesis so oh we uh, missed we missed i'm sorry we missed one thing out of episode six that i figured that that actually plays a part sorta i don't think that yeah. Yeah, um because when they go back to the artifact aka the boy cube uh picard is the only one that was able to go on there and obviously his time with the borg got him feeling some pstd which uh which rid itself before meeting hugh he still kind of had some during out during the course before everything started jumping off but nevertheless, that was they. It was basically touching back on his time as uh, as a Borg and right. right. There's back up so- that it, which also happened in was it Insurrection that happened in or whatever movie it was one of those movies that they came up in also. Right. Uh, well, all I was going to mention is that I think there were some recovered Borg who re- who recognized him as Locutus. So. Yes, there was one. Yeah, because because when they were running away, one of them called him by name. And he just kind of looked back and was like, "Oh." Where? Right. Right, 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 right. Okay, uh, so episode eight, we're getting we're in the home stretch, folks. Yep. Broken pieces uh, again, directed by Maja or Maya Vervillo. Um, so we get a flashback at the beginning of this episode that shows Narissa's initiation into the Zatvash um, on a planet with eight sons. It basically kills a whole bunch of um, Zatvash women. Um, she experiences the admonition, a warning of the danger of synthetic life left behind by a long extinct race. Mm-hmm. Most are driven mad by the knowledge, but Nerissa retains her sanity. Um, so uh, Rios, uh, you know, kind of uh, gets weirded out by meeting Soji, and um, he remembers that uh, he, he because of someone that resembles Soji that he met. Um, uh, he met while he was, uh, it was the first officer, I think. Right. While he was under the command of, uh, Captain Vandermeer mm. and, uh, Vandermeer ends up committing, uh, Vandermeer was supposed to kill this, um, previous version of Soji and Vandermeer uh, in the flat in the story, I guess, or the flashback commits suicide mm. and Rios is forced to cover it up. Um, Ralphie, Rafi uh, realizes that the two were synthetics from Bruce Maddox's planet. And um, we find out that Gerardi uh, awakens and uh, she cops to murdering Maddox, explaining the vision that uh, Commander O, Tamlin Tamita, gave her. And um, Rafi explains her deduction that the Zatvash were behind the synth attack on Mars. And Soji plots a course for her home planet. Um, and again, um, Narek in his little ship is doing the Boba Fett following style. 
on there on the on the La Serena, Serena, and um, back on the cube on uh, on the artifact, uh, seven of nine arrives to rescue uh, Romulan Legolas. We're not calling him Elnor. <laughs> And uh, seven, seven in a very scary moment actually interfaces with the queen cell in the cube, and um, uses the Borg drones aboard the cube to try to retake control. But Nerissa uh, has most of uh, ejects most of the drones into space and sends a fleet to Soji's planet. Yeah. Now, obviously, worth it's um, worth noting back to the Rafi part. So there's. Rafi's kind of a mess, so she's been she's been vaping, uh, 24th century space vaping, and she's also been drinking because of the issues, the things that happened to her. She's also, to give a little context, uh, kind of recovering, but she's also had a underlying theory that kind of wrecked her um, her home life because she kind of was a conspiracy theorist. It just turns out because of what happened here, she was right because she was, she's always was under the impression that yeah, there was some Romulan uh, Romulan. Um, subterfuge going on in in Federation, and it turns out she was actually right, and not not a crackpot like people, especially her son and folks believed. So, uh, episode nine, which starts the oh, by the way, uh, episode seven, I forgot to say the the um, the, um, the person who directed Doug Aronofsky, Aronofsky. My apologies for that. Anyway, episode nine, Et in Arcadia, Art a Ego, Part One. Uh, directed by Akiva Goldsman. Um, so Picard and his crew pursued by Narek arrive ahead of the Romulan fleet at Soji's homeworld, um, Capellius. Uh, Seven brings the artifact there as well because now she's got a she's got a Borg ship, which I know she wasn't too crazy about, and in fact, I know she wasn't. Um, the the planet's defenses. Uh, causing all to crash land on the on the planet surface, which means there's a big Rubik's cube on the planet. <laughs> right, and the planet's defense system is pretty wacky. Right, um, which yeah, we well that was a side note because we ended up uh, coming across another planetary defense system uh, a couple of episodes prior to this, but so. The fact that that kind of something like that kind of came back up was interesting. Uh, the crew discovered a village inhabited by synthetics. Um, who, as well as Alton uh, Inigo Soon, a.k.a. Brent Smiter, a.k.a. Data's father. Well, actually, excuse me, that's not his father, but anyway. AKA, his uncle. Huh? Isn't it his uncle? Yeah. Oh, no, the son of Data's son creator. Of, yeah. So it's actually a stepbrother? <laughs> yes, another another, another brother of Soon. Um, no, who, no, it's his name of, Huh? It's, it's, oh, at least listen, listen, ladies and gentlemen. We're we're using some internet sourcing here, so we can't trust this a hundred percent. But it says that Alton Indigo uh, Sung. Um, that sounds right. Yeah, is the son of Data's creator Nunian Sung. Right. So okay. he is technically Data's brother and Laura's brother and uh, Data Laura's grandfather or something like whatever. It's, it's a whole right. thing, y'all. Right. Um. But yeah, go finish up. Sorry, no, no, that's it. I oh, know all I was gonna say is uh, his middle name is Inigo, and I, I felt like uh, mm-hmm. I was gonna say you killed my father, prepared to die. But uh, you know what? If, if that had happened, I would have grown. But at the same time, I would have been like, okay, you know what? You earned that one. Because <laughs> I thought that same thing. I was like, huh? All right, sure, go with it, go with it. But they didn't. 
Um, so yeah, Narek is captured, imprisoned. Uh, Sutra, who just so happens to be another, uh, I guess you can say sister, doppelganger mm. of Soji, which because you know there was going to be one. You kind of felt at this point, it was like, okay, there's already two sisters, so clearly there's a, somebody else had to be here. This kind of all, uh, almost kind of reminded me of, um, which granted is a show uh, I haven't seen, uh, Black, uh, Black, uh, not Black Mirror, Black, um, Black Orchid. You got me. The one with all the clones, that was the BBC stuff, but I still need to watch. But anyway, and obviously this is, you know, stuff from, and there's some other sci-fi things that you could probably say there's some expanse in this whole show, but we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, let's see. Where are we at? Yeah, Sutra comes along, Mai's mails with Jurati and reveals that the am- uh, admonition is a warning from highly advanced synthetics. That was the other thing I wanted to mention real quick was that there was a Romulan we meet on the board cube who seemingly had gone crazy from the knowledge of that uh, Agent 70 talked about before with the ad- admonition. She kind of was, she kind of wasn't because she was kind of going right and that was the same one that was trying to kill her and herself. Boom. Um... So one from highly advanced synthetics that they will defend their fellow synthetics against threats from organic life forms. Picard tries to persuade them to evacuate the planet, but Sutra argues that they should uh, summon the makers of the admission to defend them. So she basically is like, wipe them all out. She's basically being the destroyer that people were fearing up up Mm -hmm. all this time. Uh, She allows Never to escape, and another synthetic is found dead, essentially proving the danger um, organic life forms but it was kind of a ruse. It was a setup, rather. Um, Picard is arrested when he refuses to agree to Sutra's plan. Jurati wins her freedom by offering to help Soon with his research. And the sons of Soon will rise again. No, I'm sorry. That's a that's a that's a whole episode of TNG. My bad. Sorry, I couldn't help it. Developing an android body into which consciousness can be transferred. All right, and now we are into the end game, and I don't mean that lightly. Uh, and, and I'll get to that in a second. So we are on episode 10 at in Arcadia Ego Part 2, also directed by Akiva Goldsmith. Uh, Rios and Rafi join Narek to work against uh, the beacon that is going to summon the synthetic defenders. And boy, is that underwhelming when we find out what the synthetic defenders are. <laughs> Um, Gerardi breaks Picard out of confinement and they return to La Serena. Uh, Seven finds Nerissa still on the cube and kills her. That was awesome. Avenge Hugh. She literally says that's for Hugh. Right. Um, uh, uh, Soong deactivates Sutra as punishment for killing another synth. Uh, Soji continues as the destroyer to build the beacon and foils Rios, Rafi's, and Narek's attempt to destroy it by literally just catching the explosive. Um, the Romulan fleet arrives to attack Cop- Copelius, but is stopped by uh, no, is stopped by Picard um, in one ship, and some magic happens. Well, there's a couple of magic things that happen. One, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, yo. That's okay. <laughs> I mean. There, there's some magic stuff that happens. Talk about Dave's ex machina, right? Um, some, some mag. There's some magic stuff that I don't remember them establishing where they use this thing that magically gets the La Serena to uh, power up and reactivate, and you know be repaired all of a sudden, right? Mm-hmm. And they use that same little magic doohickey to create um, 
uh, what you call it? It's like the Doctor Strange spell where he uh, he creates um, mirror images of himself when he's attacking Thanos. Okay, well they did, they've done that before in, in, in TNG specifically, but yes, but this is just a more more upscaled version. Of- Right, and more more Avengers-related uh, stuff. And, you know, I'll get back to this in a second. So, um, and, and a major spoiler alert for Roddy Cat. He did agree that I could talk about the last episode, mm-hmm. but uh, he will be backtracking and watching this in full. Uh, so, uh, Captain Picard and Dr. Uh, What's-Her-Face, the blonde lady, Gerardi, uh are holding off the Romulan armada with the help of the, the, the planetary defense system that's basically a bunch of giant flowers um, and, uh, and and these, um, the, these magically appearing mirror images. And, you know, they're, they're holding off the, the Romulans as best as they can. But then, finally, finally we get some circular Federation ships showing up, commanded by... Uh, Commander Riker, who's uh, in Starfleet Reserve, it's an entire armada responding to Captain Picard, to Admiral Picard's call for aid. Um, Picard convinces Soji to destroy the beacon, prompting the Romulans to retreat. So, as the beacon is destroyed, it's literally a beam that goes up into the sky. Think uh, Avengers. And what's coming out of the, 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 the portal are... Metal snakes. I am not kidding. <laughs> Metal freaking snakes. So the, the, basically, the, the snake version of the Chitari just happens to descend. Basically, <laughs> basically. So you know they put Loki staff into the into the thing, and the portal closes, and the metal snakes don't make it through. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> There's a reason why I'm describing it to you like this, because for real, for real, for real, I had Avengers, uh, I had Avengers, I had Avengers and Avengers Endgame in my mind when I was watching this episode because of the, you know, the, and and Infinity War. And and, so basically three of the four Avengers movies I had in my mind, I had the first Avengers, I had, um, Infinity War, and I had Endgame in my mind because in Infinity War, you know, that's where the Doctor Strange, the multiple spell thing um, happens. Right. And, um, uh, uh, whatchamacallit? And in Endgame, one of the best, you know, one of the best moments in Endgame is, and all I have to say is with regards to Endgame, on your left. Right? Hmm. And the same thing happens okay. in this episode. Right? Okay. It's just like what happens in Rise of Skywalker. Right. With the right? battle. Okay. It, oh, no. Oh, yeah, exactly. When when everyone comes to back up the one last person standing. Mm-hmm. So that's what, you know, so that's what made me think of, event, like, stuff that happened in Avengers. Listen, none of this stuff is original. We all know exactly. that. are permutations of a common theme. So, um, you know, it's not that surprising, but I just kind of chuckled when I watched this and thought, you know, oh, you know, this this definitely reminds me of that. I mean, so, I feel like it, as much in production as this, you know, when this production started, I wouldn't be surprised if that was like, you know, more actual than than, than we even know. 
sure, 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 sure. All right. So, um, all right. So we get the Rhymelins retreating. Uh, Soji destroys the beacon. But then some weird stuff happens. This is the anticlimactic part. And I'm sorry to, to spoil this for you, Roddy. Um, uh, Picard succumbs to his brain condition, but is saved when his consciousness is scanned and moved to Soong's synthetic construct. During the transfer, Picard encounters Data within a quantum simulation, and later, per Data's request, Picard terminates Data's consciousness permanently. Hmm. And we basically end up with Picard, and what and what uh, what Gerardi does is. Um, uh, what they what they say she does is she programs the artificial body to age at the same rate that Picard would. So he's not, you know, uh, he's not uh, going to be um, immortal. He's sure. you know, eventually going to expire. So um, but but essentially Picard is cured of that uh, brain condition and he's in a synthetic body. But he's going to be aging. He's going to be just as old and frail as he was in his human body. Right. So. Uh, that's essentially where uh, that storyline kind of gets tied up. And then we are left with this crew, including Seven of Nine and Romulan Legolas and um, uh, Rios and Rafi and uh, Gerardi on the ship, uh, La Serena, and they're off to explore season two. Exactly. <laughs> Not exactly, you know, going where no one has gone before. Mm interesting so i was i was i'm wondering, so glad i described that the way i did because at least you got a kick out of it yes the, I, I and i will continue to get a kick out of it because i will probably not unsee it when i actually watch it but that's fine <laughs> we're, we're gonna run that um so knowing that i was like i was wondering like there is going to be a reason why they brought up his medical condition again this was a medical condition that had originally got brought up in, in tng so I would imagine at some point they were going to do it, but for them to basically say, no, we, we, we're not even going to put that on there anymore. <laughs> we're going to take that away from him after all this time. Um, and now that he has a synthetic body that looks just, that's, hmm. I don't know how to feel about that part, but you know what? I guess, I mean, they could have just not brought it up, but I guess somebody would have been like, you know, if we don't bring this up, you know, somebody would be asking the why is this not a thing? Cause you know, Star Trek fans of anything, you know, um, meticulous. Like I said, anticlimactic. <laughs> well, it is anticlimactic in the way that you knew they were going to set up for a season two, because we already knew that right. it was coming before this even, before the production even ended on this. Right, 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 right. But, yeah, I agree, because like, if, if you did not know that was the case and, and saw this was coming, it was like, huh, really? Like, I can totally see that. But knowing that there was a season two out there, you know, they were going to, something would happen. They would have brought up for no damn reason. Which, that's still kind of weird, but I'm looking forward to watching it. So, with that, we have done the recaps. I guess the only thing to do now is to go into our overall, um, or like, well, I guess overall I mean, stuff and what we think of. Forward to, and yeah, exactly. Best and worst moments, that kind of situation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, I, you know, you just touched upon it. I thought the creation of a synth body for Picard seemed kind of pointless. Mm. You know, it seemed like it was just there to address that particular plot point. 
Um, I didn't get the significance of it, to be honest. Yeah. Maybe I, I'm just not as, you know, I'm not as much of a trekker, you know, I just don't, you know, I, I don't follow it nearly as closely. So maybe I, you know, it would have meant more to me were I a bigger fan or, or, or more of a more uh, knowledgeable hmm. about it. So but that was the thing, though. Like, it was something that they, I don't remember if they based an episode around it, but it was definitely one that they made a, a whole thing of, a, of an episode. Or it might even be one of them, but I think it was definitely an episode for sure, for sure. And it was like, okay, they probably could have never had to bring that up again. It just would have been a thing. But we, you know, we didn't know back then they were going to do this either. Right. You know, we saw the movies and they, they never, as far as I could remember, they didn't really touch on it in the movies all that much. And I don't feel like going back and watching those movies to find out, probably at some point. But yeah, it's like it basically it was a thing that was a thing that was a thing that they could have just easily glossed over, like you said. Like you know, it would have been nothing. Somebody would have mentioned it, but it wouldn't have been been that big of a deal, I don't think, to most people. Mm-hmm. So, but uh, best moment? Uh good question. I you know obviously when. Uh, Admiral Picard says engage gives you a little bit of goosebumps of course um, I like the uh, what was it the first or second episode when Picard goes into Starfleet headquarters and the ensign or whoever it is at the front desk is like excuse me who are you mm-hmm. what's your name and I'm like what <laughs> so I'm like youngster please um, what else uh, trying to think uh you know, obviously, you know the best moment. You know, it it it, it was it was, it gave you a, a warm sense, and that's what comes with nostalgia: a warm sense of familiarity. When what was it, episode seven with um, Riker and Troy? Mm. That was another highlight for me. And obviously, seeing seven of nine, you know, really, you know, flexing a little bit mm-hmm. in the series. It was nice to see her. You know. Uh, return, you know, see uh, Jerry Ryan return to the role and really um, uh, take the character into a new direction. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know if anything of the such happens in episode uh, ten or or actually nine of that movie, but I know I would love to see more interaction between her and Rafi. No spoiler. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, but um, or even going into the next season because I know even when they met and you know, uh, Seven was asking her her you know, or they was asking each other their intentions or whatever the case may be. Uh, I was like, okay, I see them two, you know, basically going off and just <laughs> wrecking shop somewhere or something. I don't know. But um, that said, yeah, the Riker the Riker uh, Troy moment was good. You know, I I love that. That, that was always going to be a, a touching point for me. Um, low point I might have been until later on anyway um, I think in episode 6 where it's like what's the point in having Legolos even here because up until then like okay, he only had like the one scene where he just cut up dude and he just and they just kind of had him there so I was like okay you got this dude who, who you know who you got him there for action but you don't really give him that much action up until then I was like and I was like well what's the point of that and I know that probably that definitely changes right um, but if- I think the low point, yeah, the low point for me, mm-hmm. yeah, hold on to hold on to that thought. Yeah, go ahead. Now that I think about it, the low point for me was Hugh and what they did to him. That sucked. Yeah, that whole thing. Oh, he and Iche because it was like, oh man. So one other good thing it was about it was like, okay, yeah, we got 709 who was from a different um, 
series, then obviously they were around the same time because you know when Voyager left, uh, it was still during uh, technically during TNG slash you know uh, DS Nine time. Right. Uh, but they didn't have any interaction with each other, so we get to bridge like a couple of series as one. Uh, you know, uh, Seven's interaction with Picard, even though it wasn't like, yeah, I, you know, we know each other like that, like that. But you know, they they have a familiarity with each other for whatever various reasons. Right. Um, but yeah, the whole uh, thing, and yeah, the whole thing with Q, I mean, Hugh, with which was from TNG, and then Seven and Echeb, and I know there was a couple of them, so I'm kind of surprised they didn't try to bring the other two in, or maybe they did, or uh, the other couple in. Um, you know, who were from Voyager and just that whole blending of the two series, you know, in familiarity was a good point. But yeah, that whole thing with with, with Hugh and they killed him and each of them, like, wow. And they murked you know, each of them, like, straight up off the bat. Like, it was like... Yeah. Like that. I mean, I didn't realize who that was, so it didn't really mean anything to me, right. but it was, it was kind of gruesome. Yeah. So. Which there was so a couple of thoughts of that, too. Surprisingly so. Yeah, because even, I think even after that, uh, well, no, even before... No, that one specifically, because I think that was when he was taking out his eye. Yep. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, there was some, if you're a little squeamish, there was some, some surprisingly enough for a show like this, more blood than you've ever seen in a, in a, in a Star Trek show and or movie. That's the truth. So, kind of go into that. It doesn't, it's not that often, but at the same time, like, you see a dude's get hurt, get, get, um, head gets cut off also, but... And slide off his body. So stuff that doesn't this normally happens on the Trek show. It just kind of happened in the series. Nevertheless, um, I can't think of a, like a, another like bad part of that. So we just run with that. But yeah, definitely the, the highlight part was um, the, the whole Wrecker and and Troy and meeting amongst. Right. The I was gonna say I think I you know and, and obviously it's it's done in service of a second season and developing the character the show but i hope that we go back to rafi and her relationship with her son because that seemed like i was just sitting out there as a plot point yeah and I hope that it's a, a dangling plot thread a la chris claremont that gets picked up in the second hey i was about to unlike chris claremont who who just kind of leaves it out there forever in a in a, in a day which is still out there but yeah mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm hoping so. And obviously, we know that um, uh, Whoopi Goldberg's character of Guinan is coming in next next season. So there's going to be some interaction between them two on that. Yeah, and I would like to just kind of see a little bit more. I definitely would, especially Rafi's character, because I was like, okay, she came in kind of as a mess. And that part kind of bothered me a little bit. But knowing that it was Michelle Hurd and she plays, you know, she has range. Mm-hmm. So she, she played the character quite well. And I'm hoping that she does kind of get. Like obviously, kind of keep a little quirk in this, but you should you know don't don't keep her messed up. Cause you know, like I said, she's a she's a great actress and and she's she's dope, you know, in Scott Range. So I would like to see her kind of them, them kind of flatten that out. Um, as far as the other characters in now, obviously Soji uh, and Dash, you know, playing the dual roles. That that was actually pretty good, you know. I can't say, and excuse me, and um, I now can't remember the last girl's name. Uh, Sutra. Um, right. You know, she's basically do, doing the Brent Spiner thing, which is kind of funny. Right. In more ways than one, uh, because obviously, because this because all stems from data. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was about to say, hold, hold that thought, hold okay. that thought. I was just using, um, and we obviously cannot completely trust Wikipedia, but um, apparently, Kate Mulgrew, Captain Janeway. 
was promoted to vice admiral, and we see her in Star Trek Nemesis. No, that happened. That happened. Uh, actually, that happened. At the, I don't remember. Yeah, so, like at I, the end of Voyager. Right. So, or so, somewhere sometime after that. But yeah. Right. So there is obviously some um, time for Picard when he's still part of Starfleet to understand um, what happened to uh, Voyager and their crew and who they interacted with specifically seven of nine. So while they may not have met, they def- you know, he definitely had access to all of the Voyager records in, right. in all of their uh, logs. So, right. And as Gerardi said, one of those episodes, like, yeah, Borg was basically required reading for her in her field. So I wouldn't be surprised. And, and matter of fact, I feel like it's come up before that, like, yeah, Starfleet as a whole are basically up on the Borg at, Borg at that point because of the threat they posed. So it makes right. sense. Um, but yeah, yeah. And I think that Vice Admiral thing happened at the end of Fortune. I'm almost certain she got a promotion when, when they got home. So, yeah, that's not, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's, we can, we, I don't, can be, we can be safe on that one. Right. I was going to say, I don't remember how Voyager ended, to be honest. So. I do, but parts of it is like, I know they went through, a, they basically used Borg Tech to get back home. Right. They, they they tried to, you know, they accelerated their trip. That's all I remember. So yeah. I'm going to have to go look that up again. Or, or don't. Just let, just let it go. No, I'm just kidding. No, but, <laughs> Voyager, Voyager gets a whole lot of slack and possibly partially because of, you know, the the... the the starring in the the choose the choosing of a female captain. I know that sticks in some people's throat because people are stupid. Um, I mean, but Voyager also kind of has some issues of it on, especially when, uh, you know, how the seasons progress, basically, and the moving, the moving from UPN to WB and whatever else didn't help it either. That I remember being an issue. I mean, look, I was always cheering for Ensign Harry Kim. You know, we get the Asian brother. Who, they you know, hated him. I mean, not they, hated him, but they they, they fucked him all. all. They, they right, missed him a lot. They treated him right. You know, like, you know, they might as well just put some alien makeup on him. Um, you know, not since Sulu had we seen uh, an Asian brother, you know, like taking um, uh, a lead role on um, the deck, you know, on uh, which we call it on the um, on the bridge right. of uh, the, the, the lead starship. So it was nice to see Harry Kim there. But uh, yeah, like you said, they really messed with him. So yeah, as a matter of fact, cause they messed with him. Like they used to mess with, um, with, um, um, uh, uh, chief, chief O'Brien. Cause they would, they, they, I think they even said in commentary DS9, it was like, yeah, we, they, they, t- they went out of their way to do some stuff to, to, uh, O'Brien's character, you know, any time they wanted to, or any time they could. So the, the whole character, the Harry Kim thing was like, yeah, they did a similar thing, but for different reasons, I guess. I don't know. Right. But yeah, that was kind of messed up. <laughs> right. so, just a, a, another little like kind of fan service-y um, Easter egg. They did mention Quark, uh, the uh, a Ferenginar, the Ferengi, it, uh, uh, when they were on um, the, the Free Bird, I mean Free World or whatever the hell it was. Wait, I don't remember that. Did they? Yeah. They mentioned him in passing. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. That makes sense given what that world was, but mm-hmm. um, okay, I must have missed that one then. And I know that one, the first ad kind of reminded me of Quark, like when they was playing on the ship, and it was like they had the little the man talking about, "Hey, you can fix your ship or whatever." That kind of reminded me of of them, but or, or of him or or Ron, one or two. But regardless, it was basically an ad. Ad still in the twenty fourth century, y'all. Anyway, yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Um. I think we've covered most of it. I don't. I can't remember anything else that. Um, I guess what we're looking forward to in the next season. 
since we know this is a thing? Um, I think I'm looking forward to more development of the of the crew, you know, the relationships, because as I mentioned earlier, I did not feel a connection to any of them. Mm. You know, I didn't find myself liking many of them. You know, I found myself, I found myself sticking to the characters that I knew. Obviously Admiral Picard is the, the, the star of the show. He's the headliner. So he's the one that you're following for the majority of the time. But then when seven comes, you know, like I said, She's like the star of every scene she's in. When Hugh comes, I'm like, oh, snap, that's Hugh. I recognize his face. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not so much with the new characters. So, you know, I would like to see, uh, you know, I would like to have more time for them to develop to see if they can make them um, uh, characters that we can root for. Because mm. I can tell you, I was not rooting for the blonde lady, Girardi. <laughs> I was not rooting for her. I was like, yo, she's a criminal. Yeah, but then we found out what why she. I know, that. but yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah, what she did, what she killed old dude. I was like, okay, no. What you you kind of say that's what was the whole thing. Like you knew all of these people kind of had something on them, mm-hmm. some some dirt in the background, some red in the leisure, if you will. Right. Uh, and you would think, well, okay, surely there was one person who didn't outside of uh, Legolas. Um, you would think it would have been her, but it was like no. As soon as you see her and you come on the ship, it was like. Okay, she, clearly she's she's not here, you know. She's not here just out of scientific curiosity. Something else is up. Mm-hmm. And then we find out what the reason was behind that. So, so yeah, there were some things that were kind of like, okay, yeah, you could see it coming. Like especially that her that thing between her and uh, uh Rios. Right, 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 right. But right. you know, but at least something was like, okay, that that kind of paid off a little bit. So. Yeah, that's what I'm. Looking that's what I'm looking forward to. How about you? Um. Yeah, there is that. Like uh, having not seen that last episode and not knowing if any of that's going to play. Well, I assume some of that's going to play into what's going on into the next season. Um, I'm definitely looking for more. And I'm missing, I hate to say this because I know people get caught up in whether lore is kind of keeping us back or not, kind of situation. But definitely more rec- references. Maybe a couple more people to kind of show up. You know. From from TNG, or even if they if they did with this one, it was like it may not have to be TNG. Could be somebody from 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 DS Nine that's still around, or something. You know, I don't recall anything that would have put them put them there unless they just happened to go to DS Nine. But I doubt that very seriously. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I went back. But anyway, yeah, I got you. No, I went back and looked at my notes um, for some of the some of the uh, the show notes I had created for previous Treasury editions. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, thanks for thanks for kind of covering some of that stuff, um, and, and and you had to jar my brain into like clicking and looking for that stuff. So we covered a lot of the stuff that we would normally cover in a treasury edition. Um, uh, let's see, you did what's next? Um, I don't think this is something I can participate in. Um, maybe make it a top. No, yeah, I guess we could still do top five because there have been enough um, Star Trek spinoffs, mm-hmm. you know, not counting uh, TOS, you know, rank your your current top five Star Trek spinoffs. I can't really participate in this because it's not fair. It's kind of like I haven't watched Discover. Uh, you know, I didn't I didn't watch. Um, 
Enterprise. Okay. I didn't watch uh, which one called it Discover. Is it Discovery? Discovery. Yeah. Right. And there's another one that I think I missed out on Star Trek related. Um, so it's hard for me to, to rank. Maybe I'll just rank my top three because I would say, you know, in terms of spinoffs, I would say number one for me would probably be DS9, number two, TNG, and number three, maybe Picard with Voyager lagging just behind. Hmm. I, would, I would keep it to three because, like I said, I can't do top five because I, I, don't, I don't have enough experience I, with uh, Star Trek. Right. I could, but I'm not because I would probably keep it to top three as well because one, I need to finish this. And two, I would like to go and finish Discovery because I, I started watching Discovery and I'm kind of, you know, cause I, just to see where that pans out or mm-hmm. definitely catch up to where they are now. Uh, Enterprise. That's the Scott Bakula one, right? Huh? That's the Scott Bakula one, right? Okay. I've said this before and I'll say it again. I just think that um, basically Scott Bakula quantum leaped into a Star Trek character and that's where he ended up. (laughs) Like somehow he just he just uh, he just quantum leaped into uh, out of Sam Beckett and into a Star Trek Starfleet captain. And that's where he was for two, three seasons, whatever. But it started getting better in season two, and I still need to actually finish that. But I will say so far, I, I'm kind of sort of with you, though. That said, um, up to the point of Picard, like I said. So it's definitely DS9. If you watch any of, uh, of this show for any length of time, you will know I love the hell out of some DS9. And that continues to this day. So probably be DS9, TNG, you know, I don't know. Discovery probably could, but again, this, from where I am, I can't really say that right now. And Picard is good for a definite spinoff of, you know, of uh, a spinoff of a, a continuation of a show. Actually, more of a spinoff, but you know, a continuation of a show to a certain point. Um, there's that. I don't know. Voyager. I don't know the way. I probably wouldn't put it in top three though. Even though I do like, I like Voyager better than the average person. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, that yeah. makes sense. What else we got? Before we uh, that's, that's pretty much it. You know, like I said, I was looking over my notes. Um, unless you have um, any part, any any specific things you want to address, uh, what I called were what I called um, best surprises or worst surprises. Mm-hmm. Um, this is I'm going back to our end game notes. So. Um, you know, in terms of like an outline of um, things that we talked about mm-hmm. at, uh, for previous treasure editions, I'm looking for see if we did notes on Rise of Skywalker. If there's anything specific, we kind of talked about that, like kind of you know, like uh, did, yeah, worst. Um, yeah, you know, for Rise of Skywalker, we talked about how they did. Uh, Rose Tico dirty, um, yeah. All right, so I think we're I, I think we pretty much wrapped up our conversation on this, ladies and gentlemen. If you have any um, thoughts on on what we think about um, the first uh, season of Picard, uh, please uh, get at us on the uh, interwebs on the um, on the social media. You know, you can get to us and let us know your thoughts on the first season of Picard. Hopefully you have not listened this entire time and not watched it because we spoiled the hell out of it. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I think it's worth watching, especially if you are a fan of TNG. Mm-hmm. Um, there is something about watching uh, Patrick Stewart. There's something about listening to Patrick Stewart deliver these lines that is that I find comforting. Mm-hmm. You know, that I find reassuring, especially in, in these kind of crazy times. I'm like, oh, Captain Picard, you know, or Admiral Picard. It's kind of cool. Right. So there is a, a couple of things that I do want to bring up uh, real quick, real, real, real quick. Um, sure. uh, clone Marina Sirtis. I wish they hadn't killed her because they could have brought her back for some stuff. That would have been dope. Uh, but apparently that's, that is definitely not going to happen. <laughs> okay. Um, Simile Montano as a, as a, a Dodge and, and, and um, Soji's mom who basically was criminally underused. You might not know that name, but you probably have heard her voice in places. Okay. Uh, she was in Star Trek Resistance. She was in Hawaii Five-0. She was in... Uh, she was basically the voice of uh, Yuri Watanabe in, I believe, that Spider-Man uh, series that you liked. Oh, spectac- uh, Spectacular, no, right? Not Spectacular. Uh, no, it was, uh, it was the last one. It was uh, uh, the, the, the one from a couple of years ago, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Never mind. But she's been in a lot of stuff, and, and, and I happened to, to notice that was her because, you know, because that was the case. Um, the EMH dude, who I thought was the dude uh, Rios, just like different versions of the, of the dude Rios, which I mm-hmm. it was him, um, I think. And his interest, apparently, that guy's got a little bit of range or something. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, but for the most part, yeah, I wish they had cloned, uh, they had. Uh, uh, not killed clone Marina, Marina sources. Mm. So, but let's see what the future brings. Maybe they'll bring her up and say, "Oh yeah, she's got a sister too." And boom. Maybe they'll find something to do with uh, Legolas. A little bit more to do with Legolas. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And like I said earlier about um, Rafi, yeah, a little bit, lot, definitely a lot about more on that with her and specifically her and Seven. Yeah. Listen, I'm glad. Listen, Seven of Nine is. Uh... Coming along gracefully, we'll put it that way. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah. She's that's coming cool. along gracefully, yeah. so that's. Cool. I mean, and let's face it, a lot of the cast, you know, because there are a lot of the cast is of a, a, a middle to older age, so right. and they're all were looking fairly good. And I say, you know, with the exception of like you know the younger folks, but um, but yeah, they're definitely looking good, Look, looking looking good there. So, shout outs to shout outs to uh, Jerry Ryan. And shout out to Michelle Hurd and sh- shout out to old girl to play Shoddy too because yeah sure why not alright with that I guess we will go into the last ad read of the night before we call it sure uh, in this age of COVID-19 quarantine you know what you really need to use Wink the personalized wine club Wink is a world of wine delivered right to your door from rosé to cabernet to torrente Wink has over 100 styles of wine to discover. Ever try an orange wine? Wink connects you to a world of exclusive wines tailored to your taste and delivered directly to your door. Wink delivers four bottles of wine to you every month with free shipping. You can pick your own bottles or let Wink choose and match to your taste. It doesn't cost a thing to become a member, and you can skip or cancel anytime. And now the listeners of the Comic Book Chronicles can enjoy an exclusive discount of $20 off your first order. 
to place your first order with $20 off and to help keep our show free for you. Go to our network website at cspn.us forward slash W-I-N-C. That's cspn.us forward slash W-I-N-C. Wink Wines through CSPN. Do it today. And as we come to an end of another exciting episode of His Here Comic Book Chronicles, we'd like to thank you each and every one of you for coming out and sitting through this madness. Actually, this is not madness. This is probably, if we do some of the stuff we're probably thinking of doing, it probably will be some craziness uh, and some torture. Aye, aye, aye. Anyway, <laughs> with, <laughs> with that, I have been Rodicat. You can find me at Rodicat on Twitter. You can find me at, uh, as I put the shot back where it was, uh, Rodicat on Twitter and Instagram. You can also find me at News Need on Twitter. You can also find me at CB Caps on Instagram. Agent underscore 70. Actually, that was the right way. Boom. On Twitter and Instagram. At least that's the way my... You know, I gotta get the camera first. Uh, PCN underscore Dirt on Twitter. Uh, Pop Culture Net on Twitter. PopCultureNetwork.com and his umbrella sites therein. And also Byte. The Vine replacement under comic book re- uh, reviews, no bowels. Tim, D O D D 98 on Twitter. Uh, um, CB Cron on Twitter, which is the comic book chronicles uh, Twitter account. Uh, Declicknation and declicknation.com. That's D K L I Q N A T I O N. And comic book resources where he's over there writing his face off. Shout out to Tim D-O-double-G-9-8, who is working hard all the time on CBR. Make sure to click on those links and read his stories. And you can find this here uh, program on the Coast of the Podcast Network. Go out there and check out some of those um, uh, um, G.I. Joe episodes that's out there. Coastal is not one of them, sadly, but nevertheless. Coastal of their podcast network, CSPN.us. Do it today. And you can find this on any other podcast perusal place of choice, such as Google Play, Apple iTunes, Spotify, and the Cole Slither Podcast Network's SoundCloud page. We will be back next week with something. Um, we still ain't got no books, but we're going to have something. Rest assured. And it's going to be good, and you will like it. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Don't worry, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, well, maybe it'll be the the, the, the long sought after year of the end uh, end of the year. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I did my work on that one. Yes, already. yes, eight seventy was the only one who's done his thing on that one, and now it's and it's starting to bleed away from me. So I need to go ahead and get that finished. Uh, but until then, folks, this has been the Comic Book Chronicles. Peace, peace. One. I love it when a plan comes together. Ain't no love in part of the city. Ain't no love in part of town. Shout out to Billy Bland. How about this woman that you are really hired, Mr. Stark?